Every Movie Podcast for Split. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here to discuss Split with Christian Malinsky. Uh, Tom, you have the power to say Christian's full name. <laughs> Only if he writes it on a... And with a split tagline, that might have been too spoilery. I might maybe should bleep myself there. With a split tagline or two, or maybe 23, maybe there's a 24th, Kelly Wan. Um, Bruce Willis plays a ghost in it. Well, when he starts slow, they build up. So, okay, that's just a, that's a little of an aperitif there. What else you got? That's for the poster. At least he doesn't play a goat in it. It's like Cloverfield Lane, but with a brunette heroine who's toughened by her experiences. <laughs> I like where you're going. I, I, I sense good things. McAvoy and the Beast together again, but this time one's not Frasier. Wait, no, Nicholas Holt. Wow. Wait, what? I, I mean, so, uh, kind of, I yeah, all kinds yeah. of directions, but I feel like you left Nicholas Holt out there. Yeah. You were, you were doing some great pulls, and then you just kind of went on a random veer. You went on, on an unexpected detour, Kelly Wan. So I'm a, I think, think Frazier's a funnier thing to say. Oh, good point. Then, oh, the kid from About a Boy. Right, that is. Yeah, Nicholas Holt. <laughs> you know, the punchline every great joke. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Holt is in a thriller coming up called Collide, where he drives around a lot. I saw a poster for it. Collide uh, or Collide? Collide. Where else did I hear about Collide this week? Collide scopes. All right. What else do you got for us, Taiwan? Are those the taglines? Is that the sum total? It's like identity, but without the hotel parts. <laughs> Identity's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Identity is good. But once you know it's what's going to happen, you probably never want to watch it again. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Like, it's not like the act, there's scenes you're looking for. It's like, oh, i got to see that part where... You know when John Cusack was talking to... I don't even remember anyone else in it. Good Lord. Yeah. Any movie where it's a fantasy or, like, not real, then you're like... Wait, no, it's an hour and a half of that. I would watch yeah. it again. Uh, okay, Kelly Wan, is that it? Are there more taglines? I don't want to cut anything off. His best since Magnolia. Shut up, Kelly. Wow. I'm, I'm completely confused by that one. Dingus, did you get that one? Yeah, it's a it's a um, Resident Evil joke. His best Willis plays a ghost in it. Yeah, Dingus got no, I, it. Let's just... You know what? You're not supposed to get them. You're supposed to like listen. To oh, them. Paul Thomas Anderson. Why does? Why would you? I'm very confused by that one, Kelly Wand. All right. Stamalon's also like he hasn't made a movie anyone liked in a while. So then you like go, oh, his best since. Uh, you saw the yeah. visit. We've talked about the visit. Well, you know what? We'll get into this in a minute. Dingus. Yeah, we will. Because I've already spoiled part of it. Kelly's already spoiled part of it. Bring us back from that spoiler brink. Give us some basics about Split without spoiling it. Kelly Wan and I have both failed at that basic task. Spoiler brink. Do it. All right. Uh, this week we saw Split, a 2017 American psychological thriller movie about how folks with different personalities can learn to work together. It was <laughs> written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Ah. It stars James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy, Betty Buckley. Yeah. Ew. Oh, boy. <laughs> My eight is enough days, I have to say. Yeah. Really? When she was a redhead. 
I have a story. I have a story about her. I had some uh, very like before before I even knew what a milf was. Uh, she was she was like my she's kind of the er milf. Oh, she was the mama. Uh, and eight is enough. Are you asking silly, seriously, Kelly Wan? I never watched eight is enough. I watched Mulligan Stew, but no, I, didn't. I don't even know what that is. Mulligan Stew. What the heck is that? It was a ripoff of it on a different network. Oh, oh, you're like the kid who got who wanted an Atari 2600 and got some crappy Intellivision thing that could, that could only play Pong. That's sad, Mulligan. Really, eight is enough, said Atari. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> was eight it Willie enough. Ames in Eight is Enough, Kelly Wan? One of the actors from Zapped? Didn't he come from Eight is Enough? Yeah, and so season. Uh-huh. Or maybe that's Partridge Family. Yeah, that's true. All right, Willie Ames, you may have put, you may have beaten me on this. I All right, Dinga, so who else besides uh, those people and Betty Buckley? Betty Buckley, Haley Lou Richardson, hmm. and Jessica Sula. Hmm. Split is rated PG-13 uh-huh. for disturbing thematic content and behavior. Just <laughs> by itself, just the word. It has behavior in it. <laughs> Parents be tread carefully. It's not even behavior throughout. It's just behavior. Not even disturbing behavior. Violence and some language. Kelly, one I would add to that uh, superficial wounds. You, you might also have something you would add to that uh, ratings disclaimer. Rejoice, Tom. Rejoice at your superficial wounds. Yeah, wounds. I like that. Wounds. What did, you, what did you do? You think I said superficial wounds? Wounds. Oh, you said. Rejoice. Rejoice. Like, the deeper you go, the harder the rating. Right, exactly. If you just want to put a little patch of, like, red uh, on the, for the makeup effect, that would be... But then what if it goes all the way through, then it goes back up. It's like a bell curve. And if it comes out the other side with, as a flesh, you're like, oh, it just went through the skin. Right, yeah. There's a, there is a very strange... Like, there's, a, there's a gore parabola in... Yeah, uh, I was going to say. Yeah. People get shot in G-rated movies, and they just don't bleed. And then that's it. They don't have time to bleed. See? That's a G-rated movie. It is funny watching those old westerns where somebody just clutches his stomach and goes, Ugh, and then falls yeah, over. Yeah, same for the like, really? That's what, that's what that, I guess so. I mean, that's in grandpa movies. That's how people got shot. That's even what more happens in The Sixth Sense. Right. Exactly. See? That's terrifying. We'll get into that. Yeah, we that's will. That's something I like about Shyamalan. Horrifying deaths. Something I like about you. Uh, so let's see. It's at 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the percentage of people that uh, gave it positive reviews. Metacritic, it's at 62. It's the average rating from various reviews. Uh, idiots, it's a little bit over their head. They only gave it a B plus. <laughs> a bit too cerebral, a bit too concept for them. Um, and just to bracket it, like because you, you might think, oh, B plus is good. No, that's not that good really in, in uh, for cinema score because idiots love everything. So just to bracket it, uh, let's see. The where did I write this? The Resident Evil movie got a B, and an A minus was the uh, triple K, uh, uh, triple cage, triple X Return of Xander Cage. <laughs> so according to idiots, this wasn't quite as good as triple A, triple X Return of Xander Cage. Triple A, triple A is a different franchise. <laughs> this, this movie is not going to come and rescue you when your battery runs out. Yeah. But according to idiots, it was slightly better than that horrible Resident Evil thing that we just had to watch. Um, so uh, it's been number one for three weeks in a row. This is a 
big feather in shy thing is help me out here because you said it before i'm always tempted to put an extra syllable in there like shamalian just say shamalan is it really that it's that simple shamalan no there's an a there is an extra syllable but it's earlier i think yeah but i'm just telling him to say shamalan because it's easier shamalan but I would like to know how to pronounce his name, so we talk about it, because it's like Shyamalan. Shyamalan. That's not that hard. Dingus, did you look this up, or do you, do you really I, – because I, you normally are our I've pronunciation. I've heard him say M. Night Shyamalan. Okay, so Shyamalan. The whole thing scans perfectly if you just say M. Night Shyamalan. Okay, M. Night Shyamalan. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, oh, no. Sorry, what I was going to say is, yeah, this, hold that thought, Kelly. I'm sorry. Uh, this is a, a big hit for him. It was a number one movie for three weeks in a row. Uh, it's taken in it, – it, it opened. We're seeing it three weeks after it opened, but its opening weekend was a, a very healthy $40 million. Um, and I think that this is an interesting look at a Hollywood career because Shyamalan's mm. early movies were big hits, and then there was kind of this steep drop-off drop-off that had uh, a resounding thud with a movie called After Earth that he made. And the problem with After Earth, that opened with $27 million, so about you know 75% of what this opened at. But After Earth cost $130 million, uh, and it was heavily marketed, and it was just a huge dud. And we, and we saw it. It was terrible. So after he kind of loses all that money, uh, that was Relativity Media that produced that. I can't imagine anybody would have him. So you would think, oh, well, this guy's washed up. He's done. But what happened after that is a classic example of what, why studios love the horror genre is he made a movie. Uh, uh, Jason Blum, Blumhouse is a, a studio that does – they just do a lot of horror movies. Name a horror movie is probably Blumhouse. Uh, so Jason Blum, I think, took this guy in, M. Night Shyamalan, after, after Earth. Uh, and he's like, okay, here's $5 million. Give me a found footage movie. And I have no idea how he reacted or what that would talk was like or if Shyamalan really wanted to do this. But he wrote The Visit, and he shot it as a found footage movie. And we'll talk in, in a moment about whether or not we like that. But it did very well, not because it made a lot of money, but because it had – it cleared a lot of money. It only cost $5 million. It opened it at $25 million, and it, it went on to make a fair amount of money for, uh, for, for Blum. So split now, he gets names to work with. He gets basically double the budget, and again, clearing a great amount of money for 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 the budget that this that this movie had. Number one, three weeks in a row. This is a big feather in his cap, and I think the next movie he gets to do, he's going to be able to have more control and have a bigger budget and probably do more of what he wants. Um, so in in looking this stuff up, like this is definitely. People, when they write about it, use that uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald quote, there are no second acts in American lives, and, uh, which is stupid. And one of the things that I uh, read was – Yeah, like, there are. Well, yeah. Do you know why it's stupid? Like that – that's not what that means. <laughs> yeah. There, there's no second act in American lives doesn't mean you don't ever get a second chance. I mean you, you think the guy who wrote – Great Gatsby, which is literally about someone reinventing himself. You think that one of his philosophies is that no one gets a second chance. Right. That's why I don't get – No, it's, it's the idea of like a three-act structure. Right. Uh, exactly. like the the three-act structure of a play where you introduce someone and then you develop them and then you have a, a resolution. And that, that quote has to do with 
and it's ripe for discussion. It's the sort of thing you would probably write a paper on in college. Uh, what does he mean by that? And what he definitely doesn't mean is you don't get a second chance. He means in America, people skip the second act. Right. They do it meaning they want a shortcut. They do it because they don't have to. It's a, it's a great lens through which to look at, you know, what is he talking about? What do these stories mean? But it never meant nobody gets a second chance. So when you look up these, these articles about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's success with Split, uh, you know, somebody, one of the things I found was like, yeah, uh, he demonstrates that F. Scott Fitzgerald was wrong when he said there are no second acts in American lives. Uh, well, I, I, like anyway, I hate that. movie when – when Toby Maguire goes, Gatsby, you're better than all of them. And then in the book, the next line is him going, fuck Gatsby, he's terrible, right. he's as bad as the rest of them. Right, exactly. It's people not understanding uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. And feeling a Reagan born in the USA. Right, and, and yeah, people who, quote, who use that quote should know better. Anyone who wants to use an F. Scott Fitzgerald quote probably should look into what it means. Um, so at any rate, where I was going is I, this is uh, – it's just a big sort of re-Cinderella story. The guy just had a huge failure, and he's picking up again. And frankly, I don't know if this is a spoiler, I'm a little excited about that because I – well, I really enjoyed what I saw today. But yeah. let's hold I, that. I, I kind of like how you describe After Earth as him working as a day laborer. Oh, God. I mean it's just so – I. It's but just, I, I just I like the I like the mental image of that because I remember reading uh, that review since I just read it recently. Um, I, I like that that he, he works basically as a day laborer. <laughs> like oh, we'll pick you up and you can do this movie for us. And I'd kind of forgotten too that he did that. Like I when I'm you're also of, oh. leaving out you're leaving out the village, you're leaving out the happening, and you're leaving out the last airbender. So well, I'm not leaving out the happening. For reasons that we're going to talk about in a little bit, because I'm a, I'm a, this is going to be sound weird, and I know you guys have taken me to task for this before, and I'm willing to elaborate today if you want me to. I am a the happening apologist. Uh, <laughs> nope, I think it the happening shark, dude. In nope. the first act, great, and then with the old lady at the end, and the where they walk, where they all commit suicide by walking into the wind. Uh, the happening is the happening is an example of a great script and somebody who has no idea what to do with it. Mm, yep. Great script. No, yep. I, yep, Mrs. Jones. Yep. Uh, uh. Uh, the happening is uh, the happening is an example of uh, Shamalian's skill at uh, at a concept because the concept of the happening isn't hey trees kill people. You know that's how you make fun of it. The concept of the happening is what if there was environmental disaster that forced us into isolation. The happening is not so much about trees <laughs> killing people. Or why, why are you laughing? Because that's really the. Do you, do you know what? Do you know what the eponymous happening is? Yeah, but that's why it doesn't make any sense. Is it's trees doing it? Then they go to where there's even more trees because they're like it's good. It's only affecting cities, but they just he makes. I don't well, know. Do you, do you, I, I, think you, I think you're not. Right. You're not remembering why do they? They go to where? I mean, they leave because the whole point is the reason it affects cities is it affects people where they're in close proximity to each other. When they're no, isolated, it doesn't affect them. And I, furthermore, you know, he finds himself. One of the problems, by the way, is that Mark Wahlberg is captured. But he finds himself in a, an underground cell, only able to communicate with his loved ones through a tube. And oh, I right. think that if, Shama, if Shyamalan were a more – were less on the nose with the way he shoots movies and, – and that's one of the great things, by the way, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves about Split, is that it's simple and it's straightforward. But I think if he were able to 
use metaphor better to sort of play with concepts rather than just lay them out there flatly, The Happening could have been a really cool story about yeah. the effects of the Internet, about, uh, about yeah. how technology divides us rather than brings us together. Because um, The Happening is the, – the premise is uh, plants – are reacting chemically to the fact that, that the environment's being destroyed, so they disperse a chemical that causes people to commit suicide when they're in pro- close proximity to each other. It's a dopey premise, yeah, but a lot of science fiction is to explore a concept. And if Shamalian had used this rather than as just a dopey premise to explore the concept of the Internet and technology and our, our social connections to each other, if he'd used that as a concept to explore these ideas, and all of that is in the script latent, I think the happening could have been really cool. I agree. But unfortunately, that's how it goes. I know. I unfortunately, some of those themes are in the visit. I think some of those themes are in the visit too about that connection that you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Um, yeah, because I'll defend the visit as well. But you know, okay. Well, hold on, hold on. We're getting way, way ahead of ourselves, and that's all my fault because Kelly Wong got me all excited about being in the happening. Happening apologist. I know. I've I have never I, one before. Kelly Wong, that's printed on my business card. I'll give you one later. So, all right, Kelly Wong. <laughs> Let's let's have a synopsis of Split, and there's only one thing this can be called, so I'm not even going to guess. Yeah, it could be called two things, but go on. Which <laughs> <laughs> value went with? Very nice. Uh, you have a, yeah, you need to guess. It's. Uh, oh, I thought you were making a joke, a play on the word Split. No, it did not occur to me that there were two. Yeah. Split opsis. I don't know what else you would call it. Oh, that's not Splopsis. even either. Yeah, Splopsis. Or Splipsis. Splopsis is the one you thought it was obviously had to be. Because what, then what would you call a synopsis of Splash? We don't like to contract things. Um, a Splopsis. We call a Splash. A Splash. A Splash. Yeah, they're, they're too similar. You're just like Tolkien who comes up with, hey, I'll name one villain Saruman and the other one Sauron. That won't confuse <laughs> anyone. Well, I didn't have a rule, but then people go, no, it should have been Splapsis, obviously. Like, there's the super. Don't be stupid. (laughs) They act like English teachers. It's ridiculous. Just like uh, Wahlberg did in The Happening. He's a math teacher. Whatever, nerd. (laughs) Oh, you were outing me. You trolled me successfully. Kelly Watt, I fell for the bait. Uh... Catherine Heigl plays the teenage girl in The Witch, leaves acting, dyes her hair black, and goes to stand with her head down in the middle of Chuck E. Cheese at her enemy's party while all the other kids and waitress point and laugh at her. <laughs> wow, what a strong opening. Man, talk about right out of the gate, Kelly Wand. <laughs> What's Chuck E. Cheese? Oh, come on. You can't say that. <laughs> a cheerleader rolls her eyes and says to her black friend and her normal friend, Great, only one goth showed up. This is the worst ring-themed Halloween party I've had in years. <laughs> her dad with glasses is all. Well, Tiffany, I couldn't write everyone's invited but Heigl on the invitations. That would have taken minutes. The normal girlfriend's all, well, you could have just not sent her an invitation. He's all, uh, touche, because that's why you're the daughter. The friend's all, I'm the friend. 
He's all, tough room. Heigl stares at them for a bit, pondering this exchange, then takes her phone out, pretends it's on, and points to its screen sheepishly. I guess I need a ride home. <laughs> My uncle's busy watching Little Miss Sunshine inappropriately. <laughs> <laughs> and small wonder. These three girls decide the party's over and without telling the other guests, walk out to the parking lot. <laughs> and I'll get the dad's car. Heigl gets shotgunned by being unliked by and unrelated to anyone. Suddenly the dad's all, hang on, I forgot to do nothing by the tailpipe. He gets out and walks off screen. From the back seat, the normal friends all. So Heigl... If Black Phillip takes the Oscar, do you think he'll whisper the acceptance speech? <laughs> That's the sassy one, the normal friend. Behind her, James McAvoy slams the dad's head through the rear window, shattering it. The girls don't hear or care and forget to see things in the rear view. Black friends all, tell us something else about shooting the witch. Heigl's all, well, I did actually misplace the baby, so that seems easy. <laughs> James McAvoy in glasses slides into the driver's seat, turns around and sprays the two friends in the back seat with mace. They both lose interest. <laughs> Heigl's all, thank God I thought they'd never shut up. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. I still have video game tokens left. Here, I'll just stick them in your CD player. Suddenly, she realizes she lives across the street and doesn't need a ride, so she starts to open the door. McAvoy looks surprised she's interested in leaving. Some cracked windshields are all splops us. <laughs> Beside me, Dingus stays seated. When Heigl regains <laughs> Some people make news by just being themselves. When Heigl regains interest, she finds herself in a room with beds and no windows and the three other girls. Beside me, Brie Larson, Winstead, Alicia Cuthbert, the girl from The Divide, and Dread roll their eyes and go, oh God, not one of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> the black friends all, I say we try to escape. The cheerleaders all, I know martial arts, by the way, that might be useful, but I need you fools to hold him down. I'm not that good. Heigl's all, no way. We don't even know what this movie's premise is yet. <laughs> McAvoy comes in wearing an orange jumpsuit. He stares at all of them, then finally points at the normal friend and goes, you first. The black friend's all, <sighs> typical. McAvoy takes her out and locks the door. They dimly hear music playing for a couple minutes. The cheerleader looks at Heigl and goes, so on the witch, um, I hope you have to keep the clothes. The door opens and McAvoy shoves the normal friend back in, crying. She's all, he, he made me dance with him. We moonwalked, crumped, then he twerked, then he pretended he was pulling a rope. Then he spanked the air, and he told me he could take it from there. He made me come back in here. He's such a great dancer. It was the best time I ever had. She breaks down. Meanwhile, in an old lady's office, a psychiatrist sniffs the air suspiciously, picks up the phone, and calls a number. An answering machine's all, This is James. McAvoy, leave a message. After the baby. White man, engage. There are 23 beeps. 
see what's going on. <laughs> I like that there was some Vikander in there. Yeah, one of the personalities. <laughs> the old ladies all, hey, McAvoy, you're not kidnapping girls, are you? <laughs> also, my sister's interested in dating two of you. Bye. She sighs, hangs up, picks up the phone again, then redials to leave the second of 23 messages. I look over at Adrian Brody wearing the chicken suit from the village sitting beside me and go, if water of the color red's a deus ex machina in this one, I'm going to bend some air. He says something. When the audience wakes up screaming, Tiger and the other girls are watching tiredly as McAvoy wearing a turtleneck and earrings walks around their cell going, Grandma feels a bit peckish today. Most of the world's op men are actually pretty mediocre dancers. <laughs> Come out of that partly green room or I shall release the hounds. Excalibur. <laughs> the cheerleaders all. This is my third least favorite captivity ever. <laughs> the normal friend raises squeeze bottles of lotion and goes, yeah, I don't see a basket anywhere. <laughs> McAvoy is all. Girls, can we please... The bathroom clean. In Waterworld, I had a special anchor that converted all my urine to water, and vice versa. Maybe think about that, it'll inspire you. He puts on a ball cap backwards and goes, I'm a little boy now. Oh my god. see my pita? He hops out of the room. I look over at the plastic plant sitting beside me. I don't know what personality I am. The black friend's all, hey, guys, shouldn't we just overpower him right now that he's a 10-year-old? Duh. <laughs> the cheerleader's all, I still know martial arts. Um, <laughs> the normal friend's all, guys, look, a giant trap door in the ceiling we somehow didn't notice earlier. Boost me up and I'll crawl around in it loudly while you try to keep him from entering by sounding like you're stalling for time. The black friends all. Shouldn't we wait till he's asleep or something, or till he develops a personality who's deaf or also is captive? The cheerleader and the normal friend roll their eyes as if to say, black cheerleaders, where does it end? They boost up the normal friend and she clatters noisily around in the crawl space above the room for a few minutes. Finally, she's all, yeah, guys, I haven't actually started moving yet, by the way. Finally, on the other side of the door, McAvoy knocks and goes, Hey, it's me. I'm an old woman now, but I'm strong for some reason. I think my name's Gertrude. Might be easier just to call me Personality 17. Hi, Gustav. Just a second. We're uh, pressing against the door. Don't come in here till she's found the exit. I mean, he bangs <laughs> into the room and goes, What's going on in here? I can barely hear me other selves think. The normal friend bangs around some more above them and then goes, Guys, hang on. I see light at the end. By the way, I'm not coming back for you. Ha ha. She tumbles out of McAvoy's hat leg onto the floor. They all look at her. She gulps sheepishly. McAvoy's all. If it's wax you like? He carries her screaming to a closet down the hall and walks her in. Then he throws in a couple candles. He's all. This is not the... <laughs> <laughs> this is not the wax I was referring to, obviously. I tried it out for Mothman prophecies, but all I got was dragonfly. 
I look over at the grandpa from the visit sitting beside me as he sticks a shotgun in his mouth. He looks startled at me and goes, I was just cleaning it. <laughs> I'm all, you'd say that again when you were smearing poo on the kid's face. Later in an office, thanks for seeing me on short notice, Dr. Old Woman. But I'm afraid I only butt-dialed you by email. I'm actually fine, especially since I kidnapped those three girls to clean the bathroom. Uh, I mean, four girls. The doctor ladies at all. Uh-huh. Who am I speaking with right now? It's me, Kevin Costner. The playful one. Oscar winner. Really? Because I feel like I'm actually talking to Jason Statham right now. Nope. It's the English accent I used in Robin Hood. Maybe you need to see an ear doctor. Hey, look in the mirror and ask yourself that. Costner. That's me, name. Okay, well, if you're Kevin Costner, what are some of the movies you've been in? <laughs> what haven't I been in? That'd be an exciting list. I was in uh, that movie about swing boating. Forget the name. With... Uh, John Favreau and Vincent Vaughn was in a western with Kevin Klein. Wild Wild West, I think. I won an Oscar. Good fellas, please. Well, as long as you hear, I have good news. Remember how you kept saying that you were developing a 24th personality called the Beast that was going to kill me? Well, I x-rayed your brain, and I only saw 23 personalities, although I've only looked at one hemisphere so far. There's no place for the fell in Azeroth. <laughs> Wait, are you sure you're Kevin Costner? Baby, want poo-poo. Knock, knock. Who's there? Little lady. <laughs> okay, you're Costner. Thanks for putting my mind at ease. Meanwhile, in a flashback, Heigl has a flashback of going on a hunting trip with her uncle. <laughs> the uncle's all, hey, want to know a cool way to trick bears? He drops his pants. Heigl <laughs> and a bear stand beside her are both all. Heigl uh, and the bear wake up screaming to find themselves in a kitchen while McAvoy, wearing an apron, turns his back on them by a stove and goes... Now, the key to making a good boiled red herring is making sure your guard's down. Learned that from a black prison inmate I was supposed to assassinate in the latest mechanic uh, adventure. Mechanic resurgence. Or impounded. One of those. The black friend glares, glances at Heigl and whispers, Hey, I came up with a new escape plan. She picks up a chair and smashes it against McAvoy's back, then runs down a dead end and tries to hide behind a broom while McAvoy watches. Then she steps into a locker and shuts the top drawer so only her legs are shut. McAvoy, 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 little boy McAvoy, whose back I guess is fine, walks into the locker room and looks around. The black friend in the locker farts, exploding the ceiling light. Some loose change falls out of her skirt to clank against the floor. McAvoy sniffs, paces past the locker, then listens closely with his ear to the locker door. The phone in her pocket goes off. Her foot brushes his shin by accident. She cracks open the door to see if he's gone, bumping him in the eye. But finally he shrugs and leaves the room. She breathes a sigh of relief and opens the locker door. Suddenly his head rears up behind her in the locker. Oh, I was in Dune! <laughs> Later in McAvoy's bedroom, I goes all, Thanks for bringing me up here, ten-year-old uh, McAvoy personality. Number 18. I haven't felt this uncomfortable since my uncle made me watch uh, Full House on his lap. God damn it, I thought you said a window. In- <laughs> I thought you said you had a window in here. McAvoy's all, I do, see? He points to a piece of paper taped to the wall. The word widows scrawled on it. He's all, I also have this drawing of a walkie-talkie. He hands her an actual walkie-talkie. She grabs it, hits the button, and goes, Hello, can anyone hear me? This is the witch's Catherine Heigl. I'm stuck in a madman's bedroom. Shyamalan says he has 23 personalities, although we only see like three or four in this. It's like 50 shades. The number's meaningless. Ballpark here. 
Milady, lady, you woman of your beauty has no need of such decorations. That's something I said in Robin Hood. Uh, I go to walkie. See what I'm dealing with? No, imagine that times 23. The guy in the walkie-talkie's all, Gary, is that you again? Hey, bro, what are you wearing? Suddenly, McAvoy takes his shirt off, gains 30 pounds of bustle toad, and starts crawling around on the ceiling. <laughs> He's all, now my name's something else. Igo runs to a chain-link fence and tries to hide behind it. The psychiatrist walks in. She's all, hey, McAvoy, good news. I've decided that you're cured. They hug. He walks her to the floor, then advances on the chain-link fence again via the ceiling. Suddenly, Heigl finds a gun in her hand. She's all, this is for those girls I don't like. She shoots McAvoy three times. He spits out the bullets, opens the chain-link fence with his muscles, then suddenly notices some marks on her wrist. He's all, oh, your uncle's dick? He gives up and runs away. Yeah. Heigl notices an exit door beside her. She's all, finally. She walks up the ladder and finds herself in a zoo. She's all, so that's why he had so many personalities. He lives under these hippos. She walks past a security guard at a chair with a walkie-talkie. He raises her and goes, hey, I was listening the whole time. Nice job there with the bullets. <laughs> Though I guess they didn't work. I think he ran off that way towards the monkey cages. Or there. He points the exit to the street where McAvoy's still standing, listening to the show. In a cage near Heigl, an elephant farts. Tom looks over at me and goes, see? Zoos don't torture animals. It's the girl. <laughs> A police car pulls up next to Heigl. A cop gets out and goes, I guess he got away. We have an APB out for a guy with 23 personalities, but that's a lot of people, man. Heigl's all, that's okay, officer. The important thing is that I failed to shoot my persecutor correctly, which has given me the courage to turn in my uncle for lying to me about how hunting works. Also, if this helps you find McAvoy, it's 24 personalities now. Some of them a little more fleshed out. The cop's all, great, now i got to redo all the flyers. He drives off, leaving her there. Heigl sighs and walks over to a campfire tended by the other hostage girls, takes her clothes off, and starts levitating with them. <laughs> Meanwhile, the boy finds a room with walls in it, tapes up a piece of paper that says mirror, and looks into it giggling. <laughs> that was awesome! <laughs> I made fools out of teenagers! What, man? Period! Meanwhile, in a crowded diner on a TV set, some news is all... And in twist-ending news, actor James McAvoy wasn't arrested today for getting shot by guest Catherine Heigl. At a table, a woman's all, Hey, this is nothing like 15 years ago when that guy spilled water on an alien, so he re-became a priest. What was his name again? <laughs> on a nearby stool, Mel Gibson in a priest collar looks goes, Sugar tits! <laughs> Jaden Smith leans into view from the stool beside him, cups his mouth at us, and goes, After Earth 2! After After Earth! Come on, America! It's better I retake my shit-ass driving test. <laughs> the kid who on his face from the visit leans into view behind Jaden and starts rapping. Max Landis leans over to me and goes, What a dork. The end. <laughs> Star-studded, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> wow. Well, I want to call Stace from that. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, you did watch the visit. I would not. I guess you did it for research, right? Yeah, I did. How'd you like that rap scene? I know. Right? Uh, which one? I only remember the one because it was such a painful. Uh, there, there's the one that was so painful to watch. You mean the one after the after the credits where it's like yeah. my brother insisted that I do this? Uh, was it after the credits? I thought there was one in the movie. I haven't seen it in a while. 
small. There's one in there's there's one in the movie, and then and then there's it's it, during the credits, but it's after the movie fades to black. It says my brother insisted that I uh, include this, and he starts rapping during the credits. Oh yeah, I don't remember. Wait, it's just not it was sister. It's not even the character. He has a sister though, right? In the movie. Yeah, and she's the filmmaker, and she says my brother insisted I include this. Oh, I thought he meant... Oh, so she's talking about shooting that. Yeah, I just remember that poor kid doing that and thinking, oh, M. Night, why are you humiliating this child for the rest of his life by recording this for everyone to see? Well, he's constantly, like, talking rap. I mean, he does an early rap, and then he does that rap at the end, you know, during over the credits. That was the most horrifying part of the movie for me. Uh, But you like the visit. It sounds like you were speaking approvingly of it. Um... Yeah, <laughs> I like it. It, it, it. it is another one of those, um, as I, I thought early on in, in Split, those brief kind of situations, the thing that you've – why isn't this over in five minutes? Why why didn't you just do such and such? Why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you just do this? Um, so I, I kept visit feeling – the visit uh, and and uh, for parts of split. I mean, what? Why didn't you just do such and such? You know, and also the visit is. I'm I'm just I'm done with found footage, and I don't understand why. <laughs> I don't understand why. you don't watch enough horror movies to be done with found footage. I don't yeah, want to hear stuff like about done with found footage. No, you've got sorry. a lot of work to do before you're yeah. done with found footage, young man. I don't think I'll ever be done with it. Well, I know. I have, to, I have to put in more hours before I'm done with found footage. Yeah, you're not allowed to be indignant about found footage until you yeah. watch a lot more crappy horror. It's given us a I lot thought, of joy. I thought Apollo 18, uh, I, I thought if I put those hours up on the screen, then uh, I could be done with found footage. We set the bar too high with Apollo 18. I do. I suspect that the deal with it being like it, there's no reason for the the visit to be found footage, and I suspect that's no. part of what happens when you only have five million dollars to make I a movie. I forgot it was. Um, I, I did too because it really it don't. I don't found footage because oh wait, shooting it. All the oh the brother's are. carrying a camera the whole time too. Oh, Everybody's brother. always carrying a camera and nobody ever drops it. And the grandparents oh, don't ever. We're just going to smear a little oven cleaner on the um, on the laptop camera. We're not going to break anything i mean uh, God, I, I, I love the grandma on conceit. that movie though i like the movie the grandma offsets the rap for me oh the 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 actors are fine it's just yeah. that the conceit is stupid well here's my here's my thing with uh where i would maybe be a the visit apologist because i don't i don't think the visit is very good uh mainly because i don't think I don't know that M. Night Shyamalan understands how outrageous and ridiculous it is. Like, if he'd understood that he was making the visit as a kind of a satire, but I don't think he has that in him. And I don't think the visit understands how inadvertently funny it is. And I also don't think that it understands that it's a horror movie about the audience's disgust with old people and that's really uncomfortable to watch and that's really uncomfortable to have that literally shoved in your face like that yeah. uh, and I don't I don't know that M. Night Shyamalan had any concept of that like when one of the things that I like about horror and one of the things I use to define what is and isn't a horror movie is does it somehow tap into a, a legitimate fear that people would relate to and I don't think the, the, the visit accidentally taps into people's disgust with, with the elderly and um, and there's something to be said for 
being confronted with that in, in a movie. Uh, but I don't think it's a very well-made movie. Uh, no, so. I think it, there's there's just there are too many excuses for jump scares, and um, yeah. and not enough reason just to destroy the camera. I mean that that jump scare with the hidden camera totally turned me off. Um, but I I love what you're saying, Tom, because. Above all, the movie made me uncomfortable, comfortable, uncomfortable, and creeped me out about the old people thing. Yeah, and I, I think that it's around. really effective in that way. And it's effective yeah. because we, you do have. I mean, I suspect it's something biological, but people do have a, a disgust with 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 getting old and with your your body basically falling apart. And that's mm-hmm. you know, it's an uncomfortable yeah. truth is that we find youth beautiful and and an age disgusting um and if the visit had been about that intentionally i think there could have been uh there could have been some heft to it as a horror movie instead it's inadvertently funny and it accidentally taps into our disgust with old people but so that said um i'm i'm surprised well i'm glad you watched it dingus because you now uh have you seen every single one of shamalan's movies have you seen lady in the water Uh, i have not seen lady in the water no Man, that's one. Boy, that's one to miss. Uh, <laughs> that's what everybody said. And it, when I heard the premise, I go, well, I'll see it if everyone says, oh, my God, and then no one did. Well, the thing, here's the thing that I, I want to get at. is I don't think that Shyamalan is a, is a bad filmmaker, uh, even though he's made bad, bad movies. The guy is capable of constructing really good scenes that in isolation – are effective, like the basement bit and signs that, that, you know, here's a guy who makes a crappy found footage movie, but he did awesome found footage with that birthday uh, footage and signs. Uh, and he, he's, he knows filmmaking, and he knows how to make a moody scene. He knows how to ratchet up tension. Uh, the guy's very, very competent, and I really like I, – I think Split is easily – and I would love for one of you guys to disagree with me on this. I think it's easily the best thing he's ever done uh, because he's not overreaching. Uh, the Split is simple. It uses its premise not as a trick or as a gimmick but as a, as a, as a, as a premise. Like he's using it as the – the, the sort of the justification for the psycho and the monster in the horror movie. Uh, it's not he's not trying to imbue it with any deep meaning, uh, and you know just it's a straight up genre thriller horror movie, and there's no deceit involved in it. It is what it is, and that sort of allows Shyamalan to do uh, some really good stuff with actors, with the way he unfolds information. Um, and I, I, I really like this. Now, we had someone ask us on Twitter, uh, what did we think that it says about uh, mental health? And I find that a very interesting question because I think it relates <laughs> – it, it is as relevant to mental health as uh, Unbreakable is to osteoporosis – no, osteo right. – osteo, what do you call a study of bone Osteoporosis? No, that's the disease. Osteo – what do you call a bone doctor? An airplane. No, it's it's, it's you constantly lucky. confuse it with podiatrist. Osteopit shoot a monkey. Oh, uh, you're thinking foot doctor and yeah, you, but the word for foot doctor and bone doctor. Dadgummit! I thought this was gonna, I had a great sound nugget and I screwed it up because I can't think of the word for bone doctor. But at any rate, I don't think split has anything to do with with uh, mental health. Uh, however, I do think that Shyamalan uses it. Uh, the idea of a split personality as an effective device to create a thriller. So my bracketing is movies that use split personalities as a plot device. I like all three of these movies. 
I feel this is pretty tight bracketing. I would put above this uh, Session 9, uh, Brad Anderson's movie with Peter Mullen, uh, and I would put below this Brian De Palma's Raising Cain with John Lithgow, uh, which I watched a couple years ago. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Split, and I was very pleasantly surprised, and I'm ranking it up there with other very good thrillers about Split personalities. So, one of you, give me your over-under. What did you think of this? Am I the only one who thinks this is his best movie? Yeah, I like Sixth Sense more. Although, okay. I think... Well, just because I was really stupid and I didn't get the twist in Sixth Sense, so I give it credit. And I really like those characters. And I don't know that I liked the characters in Split as much, but I totally agree with you that it's really focused on what it is. And there's no shark jump moment in it like there usually is in a Shyamalan movie. Like, I think Signs is my under, because there's scenes in Signs that are awesome, but there's also scenes that kind of suck to me. And I think I'm a visit apologist because it doesn't... There's still good scenes towards the end, mostly. Well, as in The Happening, the longer it went on, <laughs> the more annoyed I got. And by the end, it was, I'd so broken up with the movie by the end of it, and I was so infuriated by that last act that it, like, totally destroyed what I thought was a really cool idea. Are you talking about The Happening again? Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason anybody should like The, the Happening as a movie. When I say I'm an apologist for it, I'm an apologist for what it could have been. So, yeah, I, I, okay. you should, everybody should break up with The Happening. You know, maybe, I don't, no longer, the, you know, an, anybody, nobody should last longer than an hour thinking The Happening is worth sitting through. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I think most Shyamalan movies is, at what point are you going to break up with it? Because I remember right. when The Village started, I hadn't broken up with it yet. Yeah, sure. And then, once, then it goes south, and you're like, fuck. Why? But in Split, this is the first Shyamalan movie, including maybe Sixth Sense, where I don't think it ever jumped the shark. Like, I always felt with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really under- think... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, well, just my under signs, just because that's a really good one, but it has scenes in it that I think are kind of dumb, too. Like, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a mix. Was well, Split doesn't have anything in it that was annoying. I really like that McAvoy gets away. I thought that was a really surprise ending. Like, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, like, I was pretty sure she was going to get out. Uh, and I think it, a lot of his movies, they always have, like, one death that sort of horrifies me. And Betty Buckley's death kind of freaked me out in this. Like, that, by the way, is an example of, I think, how he's a great filmmaker. We'll talk about right. that in a minute. But what, what is your over, Kelly Wand? Oh, just Sixth Sense. Because oh, I like is. the characters right, right, right. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I liked these characters as mm-hmm. much. Like, he, he was the most interesting um, part of it. And I really liked McAvoy's acting in it. I thought it was better than any other acting in, a, in any Shyamalan movie. Okay, before we dive into some of this, Dingus, get in here. What's your overall assessment? What's an over-under for you? Right, so I I view this as a movie um, I think it was Kelly who had a 3 by 3 topic that was movies that are redeemed in the la- by the last shot or the last scene. Is that you, Kelly, that had that? Do you remember? No, I think it was Tom, because Martyrs was one of them. Oh, all right. It might have been. And I I wouldn't have had a three-by-three on on Martyrs, potentially, even though I really like it. Um, Because um, I I freaking love this thing, and and the the reason I love it is because of that last last moment, because there were so many moments where I was just like, oh, fuck you, why why didn't she just do this? Why didn't she just do that? Why didn't they just do this? It felt very reef to me. You know, this could have been over in a moment if instead of getting the walkie-talkie, she just held onto the bat and hit him in the head. Um, but that last moment, 
structures this as an origin story for me. And it's a supervillain origin story. And I love that he, um, at first I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't, no, you can't do that. You know, that Mr. Glass moment, you can't do that to us. And then all of a sudden, my brain sort of expanded. And we have a listener, Chris Webb, um, who signs his email as Mr. Glass, who talks about this derisively, says, oh, yeah, so this is the Shyamalan cinematic universe then? Yeah, Chris, I think it is. Yeah. I absolutely think it is. I think this is a supervillain, a, a meticulous creation of a supervillain because often we are just treated to uh, supervillains just being like plopped out there you know uh, there it is that this guy's just crazy the joker's just crazy so my under would be uh, suicide squad you know here's a we're gonna try to create this supervillain but he's just crazy we don't know why he's crazy uh my over would be unbreakable because i love the way that mr glass and um bruce willis's character are created and presented to us and i i, I really do think that m night Shyamalan is trying to create his own version of comic books um, his own version of how comic book heroes are created. Because he even says something, and, and watching Unbreakable again this week, which was really a thoroughly enjoyable relation, uh, thoroughly enjoyable um, experience. He, he talks about uh, comic books being sort of a, uh, a a connection to an ancient way of of relaying history, and I love that. When you get to the end of this movie, you get the sense, or I get the sense, at least I do, of him having spent this entire movie basically doing a character sketch of a of a supervillain <laughs> and maybe even a second supervillain in uh, Taylor-Joy, um, who is going to be part of this universe. I mean, I think it's a really ambitious movie uh, and not just uh, a thriller. I mean, it works on that level as well. I, I agree with Tom, uh, even though during it, I got angry at it a lot of times. Um, it works on that level as well, but I think it's really ambitious as part of a universe that he might be creating. And uh, I don't know. Like, as you know I thought that, about like, it more and more, I got excited about it. What'd you say? Did you go, did you know that going into it? Because I suspected from the logo, from the poster. No, no, I had I had no idea. I had no idea. I was really upset about it a lot of times during the movie. Um, but then at the end, I, I kind of I, I kind of understood it. It was like a light bulb went on for me. He says his next one's going to be an Unbreakable sequel too. Like this is like the second movie in the. the you know, the thing is, I would normally have laughed at that, but considering how well this did, I believe that he could actually get that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a friend of mine um, actually mentioned that. It might have been – we have a listener. I think it might be the first time he's uh, ever written in. His name is John Thomas Mason, and he's – he. you know, last week I was talking about uh, being excited about seeing this a little bit because one of my Facebook friends was uh, – one of our fans was talking about – you know, I want to talk to you about this. And John Thomas Mason's the one who did. Um, I think one of my friends did say something like that. That, you know, that would have annoyed me, though, because I wanted to 
Because when I saw the poster, I went, wait, i got to see it before someone just tells me. Oops, sorry. That that actually was what that meant. Where does Tom? Where do you stand on Unbreakable? Does that part excite you? Unbreakable does it work for me. I, I love Dingus's enthusiasm about it, and it's been come up in several three by threes. And I thought, yeah, that was kind of cool about that. But I didn't appreciate Unbreakable when I saw it. Uh, and as for this whole shared universe thing, I actually feel that it's so completely peripheral to the experience of watching this that while I agree, yeah, that could be a cool thing, but. I don't see how it would be any different than, like, X-Men, like mutants with superpowers. I mean, I don't I, – I Would that like, diminish it for you? Pardon? Would that diminish it for you? No, I'm not saying it would diminish it. I just don't need that. Like, it doesn't I, – I, if, if it comes out and it's great, fine. Like, if he starts to make more movies and I want the guy to make more movies, I'm looking forward to, to where he goes from this. Great, but I the the fact that that was the button on the end. There was a part part way through, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of like Mr. Glass, I guess. Where and it was, I actually like, think Mr. Glass. You was, thought that? No, I was thinking of Bruce Willis's character. Oh, where a character uh, has some sort of like, like through will has this superpower that uh, he develops because they do they do set up with this idea that Betty Buckley is presenting yeah. research that uh, that having multiple personalities is is. Is more of an advanced development than a, than it yeah. is. It's a feature. And the book goes, I don't believe in them, and that that's the first time I went. Wait, this is an unbreakable sequel because that line felt very unbreakable to me. Like there's a special class of people. Right. Like, and I totally missed that. I totally so, missed that. So I got the sense though that this was that this is well, it, it is obviously. Dingus, you're absolutely right. That's a button out of a Marvel movie. Uh, it's exactly what he's going for. But the sense that I got is. He was just kind of falling back on an, a, a different direction with an idea that he had that was kind of an unbreakable, and now let's try doing it with this kind of a story. Because this really – this is a story, an, an origin story if – considering he gets away, you know, then it becomes an origin story. You, don't, you never realize while you're watching this it could be an origin story. But the fact right. that as Kelly mentioned he gets away, and then with that button at the end, you're like, oh, okay, he's obviously – Trying to establish. It Although I wasn't even really sure how much that was a joke and how much that was in earnest. But if he is talking about trying to do another Unbreakable, obviously it is in earnest. Um, and the poster. This, this is really, uh, although it could be an origin story, more to the point, this is a Girls in a Bunker movie. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. where this yeah. is a 10 Cloverfield Lane or uh, Room. Uh, I saw a movie recently called Even Lambs Have Teeth which uh, was a cool title, but a terrible movie. It's the same as this. Uh, I saw a movie with one of the hobbits, the guy who's on Lost. I forget which one's Marion, which one is Pippin. Um, He plays Dominic. uh, Dominic, yeah, dang, it's Dominic Monaghan, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, He plays a guy who works not in a zoo, it's close, but in an animal shelter. And he takes a woman prisoner and locks her up in a cage in the basement. Uh, This is a movie in that vein. You know, a horror movie that, if we talk about what what anxieties it prey on, a horror movie that specifically women should be terrified about, and that men should, because one of the things that is horrifying is, is seeing women in danger like this. Uh, w- women at the mercy of of ruthless, crazy men who want to hurt them. That's that's terrible. Uh, and this is a movie in that genre. I think more than it's an origin story. Sure. Shyamalan, Shyamalan wants it to be an origin story. The button at the end kind of makes it that. But I watch this in the context of, you know, girl locked up in a bunker movie. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, my whether or not I like Unbreakable, I don't think really affected my enjoyment uh, of this at all. 
uh, I think. Um, but I did get a chuckle out of him tying it to Unbreakable at the end, and it's certainly fun to see Bruce Willis showing up for you know, a day of work like that. Uh, that, that was cute, I, I thought. Um, um, how do you feel about it? I mean, you know, Chris Markinson, another of our listeners, we had a, we had a few listeners right in this week, um, talks about being tired of that, sick and tired of that trope of every female character who isn't perfectly well-adjusted being the victim of sexual abuse. And one of the reasons that John uh, Taylor Mason wrote in is uh, that another critic had talked about um, this whole idea of uh, exploitation, but we're we're making a movie how about how that's not very good, but we're still going to have the character take the to- her top off and another one take her skirt ah, off, right, and right. her bra, and it, we're, we're pretending to say, oh, this is really gross, but we're going to do it anyway, while while we're saying it's kind of gross. Right. So I think both Chris and John are, are kind of talking about that. How do you feel about that? So glad they brought that up because um, – so a couple of things. I, I, when you're getting the flashbacks, and I loved where that was going because it kind of in a way reminded me. I thought this was where it was going to go, and it kind of did in an elliptical way. It reminded me of the twist in uh, Your Next where there's huh. a woman being victimized, but you find out she's got some backstory that turns things around. So I thought we were going to get some of that with Anya Taylor-Joy's character's flashbacks. And when it veered into sexual abuse, that I, I was dismayed. I was like, oh, no, not sexual abuse. For one thing, because that little monkey actress was just so adorable. She and the guy sweet, playing yeah. the, uh, the uncle is a very likable character actor I've seen before. Uh, and I just, you know, I was already looking at one damaged psychologically damaged character i hated to think oh the person i'm rooting for is also but i think that's the point it's not i don't think that it's exploitative of sexual abuse so much as again like multiple personalities it's a plot device right it's Um, a showdown between damaged people exactly i there's a guy uh the guy who did the sequel to uh last exorcism which i don't think you guys liked but uh i really really liked last exorcism for ashley bell's performance and the direction of a, a canadian guy named ed Donnelly Gaston. I like both of them. Okay, yeah, so you're with me on that one, Kelly Wand. So the guy who did that, Edward Gastonnelly, that gummit. Anyway, the Canadian, Donnelly Gas or Gastonnelly, whatever, the Canadian director, his most recent movie, it just came out, it's called Lavender, and uh, Abby Cornish is in it. Uh, And uh, Dermot Mulroney is also in it. He's uh, this kindly uncle to her, and she's going through some sort of supernatural trauma, and you find out, oh, Sorry to spoil this, but Lavender's pretty terrible, so I don't mind spoiling it. You find out (laughs) Dermot Mulroney molested her when she was a kid. And it was just so just crass and cheapens. Facile, exactly, Kelly Wand. And I really resented it. I don't resent that here because, like you said, Kelly Wand, that's – that's kind of the point is that it's a showdown and it gets at this idea, which I find – frankly, risable, but it gets us this idea that they espouse in the movie that uh, uh, broken people are more evolved, that broken people understand each other is, is, and that they can fight each other, that they're kind of like superheroes. Uh, right. And I like that twist on it. So that is why I don't oh, mind that uh, Brian De Palma, there's a documentary that was basically just him, came out uh, last year, just 90 minutes of him talking about movies, and I found that fascinating. And one of the things he said because he took a lot of heat when he did movies like Dress to Kill uh, for gorily dispatching Angie Dickinson, uh, and he was constantly accused of being a misogynist. And he said in this documentary, look, 
it is more exciting because the stakes are higher and because men feel sympathy, women are scared. It is more exciting to see women in danger. And I don't pretend to know if that's true universally, but I don't, you know, danger is danger to me. Well, but I, why? I, why? I, well, I, why? Let's see. Good Lord. I don't know. Because I, I don't, yeah, me, I'm, just, I'm not asking, I'm not trying to put you against the wall here. I'm just, I'm fascinated that he would say that. And why well, I don't, I mean, for, for partly cultural reasons, women uh, being biological reasons, even, and that women are basically biologically their function is to be protected and propagate the species the man's function is to just spread his genes everywhere right uh, they're so, they're imper- they're imper- so, their well, biological imperative i mean right right seeing a woman in danger is seeing your species in danger because it is right. the woman who ensures the survival of your species and i think that there's there's almost something at a cellular level maybe that we understand about that but there is also and i think this maybe somehow ties into it into the biology of it there is a, a titillating factor to that, and it's why in slasher yeah. movies you never get a slasher chasing some d- good-looking dude around. Because attractive people are in movies. If the victim's going to be a guy, he's going to be an attractive guy. That's not what you get in slasher movies. You get an attractive woman. She's running away because Brian De Palma, whether you agree with it or think it's politically correct or not, is right that there's something uniquely thrilling about a woman in danger that's not as thrilling about a man in danger. And this thrill is often played uh, as, as titillating. Right. In That's that, really kind of disgusting to me a well, little bit. Well, here, here's the thing. Well, it, in, this, in this one reason I didn't mind it here because I was like, wow, he's really going for that cheesecake factor in the, the, the horror element, he, you know, having them take off their pants and stuff. I think it's a plot point. I think we are seeing there's a reason that Anya Taylor-Joy keeps – not even though she's having to take her clothes, she's keeping a like a, a skirt, uh, like a a, 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 what is it, a sweatshirt. Well, she has so many shirts. I mean, that's right. Exactly, the... she's layered, and and the reason is, and and even when James McAvoy is fighting her through the the cage, and her clothes are tearing, and I'm going like, wow, he really is pushing pushing the cheesecake factor here. The plot point is about her hiding her scars. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the reveal right. for us, the audience, and for James McAvoy, the villain, is that the scars on her skin, by revealing her skin, she reveals her past. I don't think that Shyamalan – and this bears up if you look at his other movies. He doesn't do cheesecake. Yeah, I don't think he's point. doing cheesecake or sexual right. exploitation or even simple titillation. I think it is a plot point. I think it's a reveal, and that's one of the things I love about this movie is how carefully he reveals bits of information. And that disgust with playing se- violence against women is sexually titillating uh, – I understand that, but I think here it's for a different reason than sexual titillation. So you think having Haley Lou Richardson run around in a bra for the entire movie is part of that? Well, in a way, maybe a feint. But yeah, the idea is there's a reason that we are not seeing Anya Taylor-Joy's skin. We are seeing the other girl's skin. Uh, Because Haley Lou Richardson and Jessica Sola are not cutters. They don't qualify. And yeah, exactly. The, the well, only they, way to show that is to have one of them be in their panties and one be in a bra. That's not the only way to show it. I mean, I'm sure there are other ways he could have done it. And I can understand someone being put out with him doing this, with having these women run around like that. But it is the point. I mean, the, the, the premise of the movie is that damaged people are more evolved, or the broken people are more evolved. Haley Sue Richardson's character and Jessica Sula's characters are not broken. They are not more yeah. involved. They do not have those cutters, scars They're on civilians. them. civilians. 
They're civilians, exactly. They're where the superheroes are the psychologically damaged people. Right. They're the, they don't have powers, and you part can of the tell that by their skin. So super long-winded way of saying I understand those reservations, but I really uh, I, I I thought that Shyamalan did something really interesting with that trope. Hmm. Well, what about the moments where I mean, after she has to shed one of her layers or two of her layers of clothes, um, when she wakes up, it's it's a very clear cleavage shot, and we're treated to many cleavage shots of her. I mean, those that's. That's titillating. I mean, I mean, he's doing that on purpose. He's not. That's not an accident. Um. Okay, well, okay. Uh, I think she's a gorgeous woman, and I don't. I didn't see. I mean, I don't think they were gratuitous. I mean, I. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, so, well, I well, certainly did, and, so, I, and I understand huh? how a, a couple of, of people uh, could see that. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I mean, I really, I do appreciate exactly what you're saying, um, and I appreciate that as uh, as an idea of of why he might have done that. As far as uh, I'm going to take this girl's uh, shirt off and that girl's skirt off, and then eventually we're going to reveal these cuts. Um, but I, I think there's other ways to do that, and I don't think you do that with dudes. And you're right, and that Brian De Palma thing, I think, pretty much explains it. Um, it just creeps me out a little bit. Well, it also – here's another thing that it does is I think it also makes James McAvoy's character uh, a lot less sympathetic. If he was right. just – because he's really – this is another thing I loved about this movie. I've long written McAvoy off as I told you, Dingus, uh, budget McGregor. Uh, he's just <laughs> sort of like a poor man's Ewan McGregor. Man, he was having a good time here. I thought he just was doing this really fun face dancing stuff with his expressions. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, he was really charismatic and likable. So having him be really oogie with these women, with the, taking their clothes and stuff, I think made him a little more villainous and made him less of a kind of a charming, engaging villain. Yeah, uh, I've never he's, seen him like that. I've never. I hadn't either. It's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a fun character. Yeah. Uh, even though he's a villain, so yeah, I mean, the, you know, the worst villain. Sorry, go ahead. Well, just that I believed in him. Like he seemed like a believable psychopath. Well, and also, and this is to Shyamalan's credit, there was a lot of this movie that was just close-ups of people's faces, and specifically his face. There was a lot yeah. of people interacting with each other and either betraying themselves or trying hard not to betray themselves through little glances or looks or, or small aspects of their face, the way Betty Buckley talked to him, the way Anya Taylor-Joy was talking to the Hedwig character. I mean, M. Night Shyamalan did a movie that, rather than having weird, eerie effects, relied very heavily on controlled, intricate acting, and I really liked that. Yeah. Unlike The Happening. <laughs> <laughs> Wahlberg yeah. wasn't I think it's an extremely uh, nuanced performance. Yeah, I mean, there there's so many different things. There's so many different colors that he's that he's pulling in every time he has to yeah. switch. Every every reason that he has to switch, um, and even when he's not switching, uh, I was really nervous about it. I thought it was going to be histrionic and weird, um, but I think it's an extremely nuanced performance. I'm I'm super impressed with him 
I'm I'm really really amazed at what he pulled off here. Uh, it's 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 so exciting to see him do this something like this. Um, so Kel- I can tell you, yeah, Kelly Wan, you mentioned that your over would be six cents, um, but uh, six cents to me, you know, it was really good. It was kind of a one and done movie. Once you know the, the twist, I mean, it's you watch it maybe a yeah. second time to appreciate how he plays with the twist. But once I've experienced the twist and then maybe admired how he plays with it, I'm kind of done with six cents. I have no desire to see it again. I'm enjoying a huge resurgence of fondness for Tony Collette, so maybe I'd go back for that reason. Uh, but this I would love to see again, and I could see watching many times over. And you may not experience this in the way that I do, Kelly Wand, because you're not into like actor watching actors as much. But I would see this again just because I was so delighted with watching the things that James McAvoy was doing. That was just really engaging, and this would make that was just thrilling to see, and I could easily envision wanting to see this again several years down the road in a way that I never would with, with Sixth Sense, which is why, again, I say that this is one of his best movies, his best movie, uh, Shyamalan's best movie, period. It reminded me, there's a part in Unbreakable, too, where um, there's a guy who looks kind of like McAvoy's character who's captured those two women, and then he has the thing with Bruce Willis and the pool. Oh, my God, that's right. I forgot about all that. Yeah. And then when Bruce Willis goes, and then the the kids rescue him, but then when he goes up, he unties the mom, and she's dead. And there's, like, this really weird kind of creepy shot of the guy, like, spitting water at her, like, at her corpse. And it's like a PG-13 movie, and it's like a really horrific (laughs) shot. And it just, it was like another tie, like, oh, so it's like, the McAvoy's like the super character of that. Right, sure, sure, yeah. Um... But yeah, I just remember thinking that was such like a, a grisly touch is that he doesn't save everyone. And so those kids are like, they're basically orphans now. Uh, how, how did we feel about the PG-13-ness of this? Kelly Wan, did, you, did that ever disappoint you? No, because I wasn't sure it was PG-13. I don't know, at the beginning, there's a lot of menace that McAvoy's exuding, and you're not sure what kind of movie it is, because it's shot like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when he first shows up, I don't know. It's just I thought it was really effective for PG thirteen. Wow, Kelly Wan for the first that that might be the first PG thirteen I've ever heard you not resent. Because if you think about it, well, it's just why the rating system's stupid. Because like <laughs> there's it's R rated really, but nothing that applies to an R rating is in it because there's not blood per se. It's just a sense of dread, right? And that was really uh, – and that's another thing too is this idea that, that – and he's, he's always been good at this, introducing a concept, uh, sort of teasing it out. And this idea of the beast, that was really cool. I really liked how he played with that. Um, but the, the idea – I mean the beast, well, he's like – well, he's that's eating people. Like he's, he's, he's eating them. They're sacred food. Uh, this is a cannibalism right. movie, and I think that they had to – they couldn't make that as horrific as it should have been because all they could do for the special effect was briefly show a, like a red splotch on Haley Lou Richardson's tummy and a little red patch right. on Anya Taylor-Joy's calf to right. imply that they were like bitten. Um, and he does and do some, this. And some thing. weird sounds. like Yeah, exactly. Like, like the implication stuff. Uh, and it almost rather that we just stuck with the implication than trying to show a PG-13 gore effect. Uh, by the way. Um, but that is, as Kelly Wan said, that's a very R-rated concept, though. Uh, this multi, this guy with personality disorder and one of the disorders is a cannibalistic superhuman monster. Yeah. Uh, well, do you see that as superhuman? So you don't show it. That's a very good question, Dingus. Uh, 
I'm not gonna. I'm gonna let you guys go with this. Is there anything supernatural going on here, both of you? What do you think? Well, he deflects bullets with his skin, so that's supernatural. That's a and yes. He falls Dingus. on the ceiling. That's okay. supernatural. Dingus, what do you think? Well, I I definitely do, and that's why that's one of the reasons why I love this movie is because that last moment informs what's going on. Kind of gives me this idea, this idea that oh, this is the this is the generation of a supervillain um, because you often don't see that in movies. You just get the origin of the hero and you get some sort of cursory, like, here's your villain. Good luck with that. He got, he got tossed in a vat of acid, whatever. Uh, but this is, this is a meticulous creation of this villain. And I could see, I could see him showing up time and again. And I could see uh, Anya Taylor joy either being, uh, a, a co-villain, or um, you going against that before. him, or why, something why like that. Why do you say that? Why? Why do you uh, like? Why would you lump her in as being a possible future villain? Uh, because of the way she's, um, because of the way he's also crafting her as an as an origin story as well. Uh, I'm uncomfortable as uh, Chris Markinson is with this whole like okay she's been sexually assaulted time and time again and then these things are going to happen or I mean it's 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 distasteful um, but she seems to have this otherness about her and maybe it's just because I've seen um, oh god Tom what's the name of that movie that I like Morgan. so much Morgan Morgan she's been her maybe. Morgan character this movie would have been a lot shorter yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly right you're exactly right uh, but she's just got this face that's, that's it, 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 but it's not just that it's it's that um, you know first of all this is kind of a sidebar given the way her father was with her I don't believe that the uncle could have gotten away with that I don't, I don't know, believe I, I don't believe any of that fucking well, shit because you know who that father was and you would never allow that to happen right Dingus who was that father how dare you sorry Kelly Wan, did you not recognize the father? There was a father character? Oh, it was Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, you jerk. Oh, right. What the hell? Yeah. Feierstein played the father, right? Am I wrong on that? Am I wrong? Shoot, Larry Gay was you're, you're totally father. wrong. That's not who That's the not father Mark was. That's I was sitting there watching the whole movie thinking, it's Larry Gay. Come on, Dingus, seriously? I'm going to look no. this up on the internet. Hold on. Go ahead. I'm that telling you it wasn't him. It, wasn't Mark it, was, a, it was like a guy named Sebastian something. It was not, it was not him. Um, Shoot. Oh, so he's using a pseudonym because he doesn't want to know. Yeah, oh, right. Dingus. Okay, Kelly Wan. Okay, listeners. <laughs> you're right. That's not him. Dingus came in the other uh, – several weeks ago, Dingus was super excitedly watching <laughs> Love Actually. <laughs> he comes running in telling me, Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, is in love, actually. He is. He's mm. one of the characters. I was like, wow, that's very uh, cool. And then after it was over, he sheepishly admitted, no, that wasn't Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant. So, Dingus, uh, minus one for your score, minus one for my score. It's a tie. Right. I agree with you. Man, I'm really but, uh, disappointed. I was sure Larry I was watching Feuerstein. Do you know who it is? No, I don't. I mean, he's a guy who looks right. like Mark Feuerstein. Why? Who is it? Uh, right, I have no idea. Okay, oh, well. so um, so anyway, you're just, there's no way. I just don't believe. I don't believe based on their relationship and how great of dad he seemed to be um, that the uncle gets to get away with all that crap. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it, uh, and it, it creeps me out. It totally creeps me out. But anyway, um, the way that she 
is 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 working through and saying some things that are just other like uh, I'll tell you when I smell something or when I not when I when I hear something I'll tell you what it is um the way she deals with the other girls in the room the way she is so careful about the whole hunting thing uh and the way she actually deals with everything instead of like you know, there are things that are awful about it. Like she's got a gun. What is it when he's trying to bend the bars? Why doesn't she just smack him in the head with the butt of the gun over and over Shoot again? Shoot him in the eye. Um, but anyway, I, I get this sense that that she's also being created. Um, I, I, it's just a sense I have. And then when we get to the end of the movie, and I, I get this feeling of, oh, okay. I mean, this feeling that he's totally been constructed as this supervillain, you never see that. You don't see that in movies. And I love this feeling that M.I. Shyamalan has actually spent an entire movie creating this this character who can go up against Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable. And then he'll have Mr. Glass and he'll have, uh, you know, 24 or the Horde, rather, against him. Um, and maybe Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy on either side, who knows what. Uh, I, Why I just, would she I, be a villain? I didn't understand that. I thought she'd be on David Dunn's side. She might, but I don't know that for sure. Um, she's not villainous. Uh, she doesn't do anything. No, uh, but she's empathetic. I mean, she's got this great empathy, and she understands. That's, that's not one of the. <laughs> that's not what villains do, Dingus. Uh, yeah, I know. You just, Dingus, you'd make a terrible villain. If that's what you yeah. think villains do, we're not no, going to sign you up for our. I don't trust people. her compassion. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 here's what. I mean, I get what you're saying, Dingus, in this regard. Uh, regardless of where she goes in the M. Night Shyamalan cinematic universe, I found it um, curious where he left her. And that is with the uncle. Mm. That mm-hmm. felt very unresolved. Like, I thought she was going to, you know, the standard thing in a movie like this is the woman goes through the cauldron of violence and she comes out empowered and strong. That well, is supposed not... to go from her look, though, that she gives the cop. That, but this, like, the look's supposed to tell us that she's not going to be with the uncle. I okay, I didn't really, I did not catch the look, I guess. I was, <laughs> uh, she looks because I, I did not sense any, like, resolution there. Like, uh, I, yeah. So okay. Fair enough. So maybe the maybe I'm reading too much into the look, or it was too yeah, or it was too subtle for me. But getting at what you know, Dingus sort of imagining different ways her character can go, I did think it was conspicuous that to me that felt very unresolved. It wasn't the normal pat. Now this woman has been empowered by going through this violence. Mm, that did yeah. not happen. That did not. Right. We did not right. see uncle, uncle get his comeuppance. Uh, right. And I thought that yeah. was curious. So and I, like, I agree. McAvoy. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and our listener, John Thomas Mason, is is right on. I think on point with you. And I forgot that Tom. She she's saying that like, he's saying. What are we supposed to infer from the fact that uh, that she winds up with him? And does she find the strength to confront him, or does she return to being victimized? And Shyamalan just doesn't tell us. I mean, Kelly's saying there might be uh, there might be a suggestion there, but if there is, this is. This is an ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but she's uh, very resilient, even at the beginning. Like maybe that, like she never breaks. Well, she's not resilient because yeah, she could have just popped out of the car right then, but she does. Yeah, exactly. Dingus, I think Dingus, I'm with you 110. percent And Dingus, you mentioned a couple of times instead of 
using the walkie-talkie, just hit him with the bat. I think what Shyamalan was going for, uh, and I think this is very clear in the car, it's set from, from the first moment she sees him, is she's got a very deer-in-the-headlights thing that yeah. is how she has historically responded to this violence and this abuse. And that is the point that is revealed in the scene with the shotgun with her uncle. You know, uh, that she doesn't, that, that she has, she has been broken by this abuse and she is passive in the face of it, uh, and doesn't stand up against it. And historically that, that's what we learn about her in that shotgun scene. So she Maybe. does find, we, we do find out by the way that she knows how to use a shotgun. Her, her dad taught her how to hunt, but we also find out that she doesn't stand up against the abuse. So maybe I'm reading too much into her looks again, but I just saw her as really tactical. And when she look, she's going to open the door and then she looks at him and goes and makes the decision that she's not going to make it. Because really early on in the story, she's whispering secrets to the 10 year old personality. Like she already has a game plan and she's already playing him. And that's like 15 minutes into the movie. Like she's well, already 10 year old personality is there. Why don't you just beat the fuck out of him? All three of that's you. True. He's 10 years old. <laughs> beat the fuck yeah. out of him. And here, here's where I would kind of disagree that there's nothing supernatural here. Because uh, I think you guys both sort of think that there's some, something supernatural. I, well, I almost wish that it had been supernatural because the science was, as I mentioned before, I found just laughable. Uh, and that's okay. You know, I don't mind for the, the sake of a good that's story. That's how it is unbreakable. And that's fine. For good storytelling, I don't mind laughable science. I, I'm not necessarily saying that that's – you know, the science in zombie movies. We talked about this in the Resident Evil uh, podcast is laughable. It's ridiculous. It's, it's overlooked. We just throw out a few lines to cover our asses, and then we get on with the zombie movie. Uh, I think there's a little bit of that going on here where he wants it to be somewhat plausible scientifically. You know, well, he gets a doctor character who goes, yeah, this is crazy, like the same as in The Happening, where he has a biology teacher. Right. Well, in, in this, oh, you're talking about Betty Buckley's character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, is there's nothing too outrageous. We just get the idea that he can, uh, just like the German person with personality disorder could lift 300 pounds when he was a weightlifter personality, this guy can develop tougher skin. So the shotgun yeah. pellets bounce off. But it, I mean, it's silly, but I think Shyamalan felt the need to put something vaguely scientific in there to avoid being supernatural. To avoid... Because yeah. when they mention the beast, when they're describing the beast, I'm like, whoa, he's going to go... Because there, there's supernatural stuff in Sixth Sense and Lady in the Water. I thought yeah. here that might be a direction right. that he goes by introducing a supernatural beast. And he it's, doesn't go that far. There's no crazy makeup effects. You know, they give James McAvoy some big contact lenses, which look super scary, but they don't give him fangs when he talks about growing the mane of hair and the yeah, super that's, skinny that's, fingers. Yeah. doesn't right. happen. Uh, Betty Buckley's an authority figure, and like Robin Wright in, in Unbreakable, she's a doctor, which is, makes it even weirder that she wouldn't notice that her husband has like weird bones or something. Right. But Yeah, because that, that's to give it a, yeah, yeah, that scientific veneer. Yeah. But if you have a well, scientist she's a, character... She's a then, physical therapist. I mean, come on. Whatever, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want to talk about, because I think they're just really good filmmaking touches, uh, the way that Betty Buckley gets killed by him just alternating yeah. cuts with how tightly he can wrap his arms together, how tightly he's yeah. moving his, his arms together and just cutting away to Betty Buckley's face and then cutting back to the arms being closer. It's just this really cool, without being gory, without having to do a special effect. G 13 
it's a PG-13, but it's also a very effective – It's grosser, though. Yeah. It's grosser, this he idea is. that he's crushing yeah. someone with his arms. That was really just a well-done cinematic trick. I like yep. that a lot. Um, it uses sound perfectly for that. Yeah, yeah. And they do you, didn't do something stupid like, you know, in any other lesser filmmaker, any crappy horror movie, they would put blood capsules in, in Betty Buckley's mouth and make her bite them and have blood come out right. of her mouth. They didn't do that. They just yeah. – Shyamalan just trusted the, the cinematic effectiveness of watching his arms get tighter and tighter together. Uh, I like that. Good. Oh, go ahead. Uh, okay, and Unbreakable, there's that shot where the doctor's telling Bruce Willis that he's the only survivor of the train crash, and then in the background you see someone under a sheet, and they're just like the sheet starts turning red slowly. As oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Right. And I remember thinking, wait, wouldn't that set off an alarm on the UKG? There's a doctor in the room, and he doesn't notice this is happening or care because he's got his back turned. What kind of hospital is this? But it's also like, like horror dreamlike quality. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Or is How do you like right? uh, M. Night Shyamalan's appearance in this movie? I wish he did. You know, is it because he's a Hitchcock fan? What is he doing? Why is he doing I that? I don't know. There's no reason for that scene. Just stop it. Cut wait, it out. Wait, who was he? I forgot. He's always the Indian guy in his movies, Kelly Wan. If there's a, as soon as an Indian guy shows up, that's M Night Shyamalan. He was the he was Betty Buckley's video technician. Right. Uh, well, you know. What are they doing? He's the Stanley about of his own. food or, or something? What are they? I don't even remember what they were talking okay. about. But it was oh, that's right. completely. She makes some reference to like breast augmentation or something in that. It really did feel like dialogue from a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? Augmentation. <laughs> uh, very nice, Kelly. Um, the the Betty Buckley thing I remember is uh, a friend of mine in college telling me that he had seen her or had gone to see the uh, the musical Carrie on Broadway, and when the staircase lowers, somebody in the audience yells, "Betty Buckley, come on down!" because she's in that movie. I mean, she's in that that play, and so. It, you know, she's going to be coming down the staircase because she's in that. Wait, it's a Price is Right joke in a Carrie musical. <laughs> yep. Just making sure I understand. All right. Yeah, you you got it. Uh, we have we have uh, one other listener who wrote in. It's, it's uh, Justin D. Hurd, and he absolutely loves this movie. So he's kind of with us a little bit. I was really worried about how much I was liking this. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm really yeah. enjoying a Shyamalan movie this much. What a, This is the guy you did After Earth. What's yeah. happening? When's yeah. the rapping kid going to come out? <laughs> and you know what, Kelly Wan? When the rapping kid came out, it was an example of how great a filmmaker he is. Be- well, great. How, how solid he is because the, the framing of James McAvoy's dance was beautiful. Yeah. With the way he goes down and his feet come up in the frame, I'm like, that's, that's shot composition. This is a yeah. guy who knows how to use a camera. And then furthermore, when the walkie-talkie is thrust into the frame, I was like, this, yeah. here's the director he should have, that I want him to be. Nice job. <laughs> this is his La La Land. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between. Who knew? Uh, if you'd asked me this time last week what we were going to think of a we're Shyamalan. We're not split on this. Very nice, Kelly Wan. <laughs> Dingus, let's do a three by three. Boy, did I hate this until I came up with three good picks, though. So. <laughs> All right. Crazy. These are your three favorite smells. Again, this was kind Jesus. of um, inspired <laughs> by 
uh, Kelly won last three by three, which was deathbeds because two of the picks that I had um, showed characters uh, going into a room where a dead body was and putting cloth over their mouth and their nose because the smell was so um, strong. And what it made me think of is how movies uh, give us a sense of what um, what what's the movie Tom where people lose their senses? Oh my God, that's right. That's that's you and McGregor and Eva Green, I think. Uh, it's the guy. Shoot, David McKenzie. He just did a movie we just saw. I want to say it's called Senseless, but I don't think it's that easy. All right. What did but we just you, see that David McKenzie did? That's the young Titan senses and a wins. I don't I don't remember what the name of that is, but I remember you describing it as as like this this guy people are are losing their senses. They're so it's an, it's an apocalypse movie where uh, it's like an end of the world movie, but in this particular ending of the world, everyone around the world simultaneously loses one of their senses. Uh, okay. So it begins with just like an epidemic of hey, people can't taste anything, and you McGregor actually plays a chef, which is like it'd be oh. terrible. Uh, and so over the course of the movie. People are oh perfect sense. Uh, people are losing their their senses, and this is this is from the guy that did Hell or High Water, for what it's worth. Uh, yeah. People are gradually losing their senses, and I forget, Dingus. I wish I'd remembered to look this up. I forget what happens when smell goes, because that's got to be one yeah. of the early ones. The the climactic sense loss is, of course, sight, where everybody goes blind. Shoot, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot um, about that. All right, anyway, I thought sorry. about that again because I, I was helping a friend move last weekend, and her daughter. Uh, called her and said over the phone, and it was, this was on speaker. She said, uh, "I'm I'm losing my ability to see and taste." She said that over the phone. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute. To see—that's called going blind. That sucks. Yeah. I, I'm 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 losing my ability to see and taste. She was like panicking, and I heard this over the phone. I was like, such a weird moment, um, and. It, it turns out she was having an allergic reaction to a bee sting uh, that has happened two days before. I, I don't, I can't explain why this happened medically, but it did. Um, it, but I guess the bee may, might have stung her near her eye or something. I don't know. But she, but she was at she was at it with her job, and she was losing her ability to see and um, what's the other thing I said. Smell, Dingus, for this three by three. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, so, uh, so that made me think of this. So that made me think of that movie that you talked about and how movies give us the sense of our senses, uh, you know, because we don't have smell of vision anymore. Um, and so watching uh, Seven last week um, gave me that sense of, oh, my gosh, you know, somebody covering their nose because it smells so horrible. So these are your three favorite smells. All right. Now, I don't actually know what these smells are, but I like, well, I can't, well, you know what? Actually, none of them are really good, but okay. Uh, I'm going to go with my, pardon? I'm intrigued. Well, okay. Sam, I can't, I can't imagine that we're not going to overlap one of these, but this one, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who has ever seen this movie. Uh, this is a horror movie. It actually opens with a fart reference, which I'd forgotten. Uh, and by the way, none of mine are farts. I'm expecting that all of Kelly Wands are going to be farts. Uh, this movie opens with a fart reference, and then it becomes a horror movie about a robed figure who has, like, 
drills and whirring blades, and he's using it to kill these uh, teenagers, a typical thing in a horror movie. But there's something else really weird going on in this horror movie that you find out at the end, oh, they're all dead, and this is their vision of their moment. Oh, it's my number one, you fucker. Are you serious? Yeah, stop stealing. Why do you know this? This is the most obscure, stupid... How do you know this movie? Is it Reeker? Yeah, of course it's Reeker. Ah, you bet. Did you know there's a Reeker sequel? No, what's it called? It's called No Man's Land. I had no idea. I, I, didn't, I didn't get to see it this week. But the guy did, his name is David Payne, he did a sequel to Reeker. <laughs> Apparently it did well enough. Uh, so yeah it's called Reeker uh, and I don't even think they ever say the word um, but I did notice that <laughs> in the credits for Reeker it's a low budget horror movie uh, I'll tell you in a minute why it's called that in the credits for Reeker at the very end where you normally have stuff like hey, no we planted trees or nobody got money from tobacco or we didn't hurt any dogs there's this, a bit where it says if you're a movie, if you're a film reviewer, and you are going to play uh, on the word, and you're going to riff slash pun on the title by saying this movie reeks, ha ha ha. That's in the credits. This guy decided he's going to write that as one of the last things you see in this movie. Ah. Uh, oh my god, what a dork. What? So anyway, they want to like that. You uh, no, you don't. Don't send stupid little comments to re- movie reviewers. Don't put that in your credits. That's like that's a Smokey and the Bandit outtake with Burt Reynolds. That's his version of it. <sighs> Wait, he ends with ha ha though. I kind of like. You don't like that? No, I don't. No, ha ha. He's shutting it down with a ha ha. No, that's something I'm, you do on, on Twitter or when you're texting someone. You don't put that in your stupid credits. Good lord. What, what about when Mel Gibson wrote "This is for Abel" at the end of Apocalypto? I'm okay with that. All right, continue. <laughs> so, Kelly Wan, tell Dingus why this movie is called Reeker. Because everything called- I described, you know, it, that just sounds like any old weird, crappy horror movie. Why is it called Reeker, and why does it open with fart reference? I don't remember that part. But it's called Reeker because the villain smells bad, and then when you smell him coming, everyone, you, uh, you wrinkle your nose and look skyward. But there's a part where uh, a guy gets killed in a porta potty. Not a guy, the hot chick. <laughs> right. Hot I can't girl. believe Kelly Wand, you of all people, didn't remember that that was a. And it's not a porta potty; it's an old-fashioned uh, outhouse. Oh, I thought it was a porta potty. <laughs> nope, the wooden outhouse. Okay, well, she gets dragged in into the hole. It's yeah. a barn where they keep the uh, old man's uh, diapers. <laughs> yeah, but then it turns into metaphysics, so it's like exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I spoiled that. But uh, so uh, it's called. So th- there's Reaker. again. This is kind of like Shyamalan doing science stuff in Split. But early on, one of the really cool things. Reeker is actually not the the cast in Reeker is decent. Uh, the script is okay. But early on, one of the cast, one of the the characters, uh, he's blind actually, and that because. In Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper thought, "Hey, we're going to make one of the the victims, one of the characters, be in a wheelchair." And nothing really came of it. Like, he didn't uniquely play with it, like maybe Hitchcock would with Jimmy Stewart and the one where he's got a cast on his uh, rear window. Uh, it's just there's a guy in a wheelchair in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he gets killed like everyone else. I, I hate that movie, by the way. I think that movie's trash. What? Uh, isn't there in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Am I misremembering? Yeah. You don't like Grandpa? Did you ever play the video? I don't, I think, no, no, no. Don't get me started on early Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper and Wes Craven, early movies from them, absolute unmitigated trash. And I say that as a dyed-in-the-wool horror fan who watches a lot of junky horror movies, 
I think there's, there, those movies have almost no redeeming value. They're, they're junk. Actually, that's not entirely true. There's some cool technique, like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's all kind of accidental and serves no purpose. Mm, yep, I like it. It's a weird what? family. It's a fun it, family. I, uh, good lord. At any rate, so in Reeker, one of the characters is blind, and I feel that's a far better use because the idea is that the villain, the, the monster, you can smell him uh, coming. When, when you always, before you die, you will smell the, this reek, and they do a goofy special effect like, uh, like, like a mirage wavy bit in the air with CG or whatever to show the bad smell, <laughs> which it's not enough to have an actor wrinkle his nose and go, ooh, what's that smell? They felt the need to do a physical visual effect for smelliness in the air. Um, but uh. there's, a, there's a point where the blind character – and the last female survivor, they're on top of an RV in a desert, and the Reeker's going to come get them, right? Uh, but the woman has a gun, and apparently, even though this is all metaphysical, the gun works. Uh, the Reeker is like, you don't know which direction he's coming from. But the blind guy has such a developed sense of mm-hmm. smell that he yeah. calls out, like, bearings, like, 9 o'clock. So she just shoots the gun at 9 o'clock. 3 o'clock, she shoots the gun at 3 o'clock. So his smell, his sense of smell saves them. And early on in the movie, he says, your smell, and I don't believe this for a second, your smell is the first sense that you uh, experience as a child, and it's <laughs> the first sense you experience before you die. Which is their... No. no, exactly. And that's their whole justification for why this monster stinks, <laughs> is the idea that he is death coming for you. And that's the last thing you realize. The stink of death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the first thing people notice about you when you're dead. Well, there's a, there's a monologue. Like one of the characters has a monologue where he talks about someone dying of a, a drug overdose in the apartment beneath him, and the corpse rotted, and he could smell the corpse the, uh, coming up through the floorboards, and that's what this smell is that I'm smelling here. Uh, and uh, then there was him. We have so much to look forward to. <laughs> but I do want to see the sequel because it's not – believe me, of all the no trashy movies I watch, this could be far worse. The Reeker, it's not good. I would even say it's bad, but it's not like horrible. I shouldn't have watched this bad. There's it's some cool Reeker, stuff. that's his name. And they don't ever say that. I kind of wish – I wonder if maybe in the second movie, if like he starts to get a reputation and there's some lore built up around him and people actually call him Reeker. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, is, are the same characters in the second one? I don't think so because I read a, I read a little bit of a synopsis and it's something about like a war vet and his son out in the desert. Uh, next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not why do you why are you disrespecting our vets like that? Mm, I just think Reekers versus vets is too. It's been done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my third favorite smell in a movie uh, is Reeker. It's Kelly Wan's first favorite. So Kelly, sorry, I can't believe. Why would you see that? You I think we've how- talked about it before. Because I saw part of it and was making fun of it. And you went, no, dude, Reeker's seriously good. <laughs> wow. Realize, and okay. I kept going, all right, I guess Tom's right. Because I didn't realize that it was going to be a phantasm ending. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Right. These people are dead. I go, oh, okay. So he's fusing that with stink. Right, the like thing is, this is the, these are the depths to which you have to go to be able to say things like, I'm done with found footage. Just see <laughs> no things. Yeah. All right, so Kelly Wan, we know your favorite smell in a movie. We know my third favorite. But what we don't know, Kelly Wan, is what's your third favorite smell in a movie? Okay, and Goldmember? 
there's a part where uh, Austin Powers has to go pee, and there's but he's trying to sneak through a facility of guards, and then for some reason he eats asparagus, and then the guard sniffs the air while he's eating it, and he keeps peeing. So that's my number three. <laughs> my gold theme member? I list is gold member. A gold so, member. <laughs> I love that Dingus is imagining that. He's not tapping in a real James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Sorry. James Bond peeing. Continue. I believe that's one of the early Connors. <laughs> Remember when James Bond would always say, yeah, baby. <laughs> it, it, tastes, it tastes nutty. Uh, I don't know. I, Goldmember's not a good movie, but just uh, I picked the theme of mine are smells that I felt like I could smell while I was watching. Ah, very good. Okay. Yeah, it's a reeker. Okay. Sorry, what were you going to say? All right, well, Dingus, we're, uh, this is your topic, so I expect you've got great things. What is your third favorite? I'm uncomfortable calling this favorite smell, by the way, because I favorite representation of a smell is, is what I did. I don't actually know that I like the smell of a... Of, yeah, I think... I think putting representation in there is a good idea because, okay. uh, because, you know, uh, one of our favorite listeners, uh, who runs a great, um, uh, Twitter account, Chris Webb said, yeah, kind of asked, is this our favorite smell? Is it something I want to smell? Is it something I don't want to smell? What are you asking me? Representation. Uh, hey, nice Kelly wand. Uh, Man, you're, how does he do that, Dingus? That's my two know. cents worth. Like, I know when he does it with a word, but he just did it with a syllable. Jeez. That's how closely I listen to what Dingus says, <laughs> but how long it takes me to think about it. He's hanging on your every syllable. He's had it there, ten minutes earlier. Wait, Doppler. What did Chris Webb say? I forgot. I was trying to do So these aren't, we don't, Kelly One, you don't have to like the smell of, of asparagus pee, is yeah. what we're saying. We're getting you off the hook for that. Oh, right. Favorite. Right. Okay. I misunderstood what that word meant. Sorry. So that said, Dingus, are yours smells that you actually like? No. Uh, I think only uh, my number two is a smell I like. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, I can't believe you chortled at that, by the way. It was an accident. <laughs> it was an accident. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The number three choice you know, on my list is uh, is another dead body thing, uh, and that's uh, from the scene of di- digging up Billy Bats in Goodfellas. Um, the way that they're reacting uh, when they have to go out to dig up that corpse uh, in order to relocate it um, is uh, just amazing to me because one of the one of the reasons I I. One of the things I like about this topic, and it's kind of uh, narcissistic to say I love my own topic, is how a filmmaker conveys a sense to you. Uh, and it's hard to convey something that you can't sense. You, I mean, we can't sense smell. We can't sense smell through movies. But filmmakers are able to convey that sense to us. And I really like that. I really like that when a when a filmmaker can do that, and the way that uh, them digging up that corpse and smelling it, uh, and the way they all react to it, uh, I really love that in Goodfellas. He should do an optical CG effect to represent the smell, like a like wavy air, or a red light. 
That would work too. Yeah. Uh, this who's it that way? This solves. What you doing? Looking at me? <laughs> is that your Pesci? Yeah. Is that what he says? Scorsese's mom. <sighs> Kelly, go get your shine box. Oh snap, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I guess I'm a clown to him. <laughs> your name Spider? Is it Spider the kid that he shoots? Isn't that his, yeah. his name? That's a weird name for someone, Spider. I don't. I, why? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't approve of that name. <laughs> Isn't there a dog in the mo- in that movie, Lady in Black? Isn't that dog's name Spider? <laughs> Lady in Black. Why are you asking? <laughs> yeah, you guys wouldn't know that. Sorry. At any rate, what I meant to say, the dog in Lady in Black, the dog's name is Spider. Is Lady in Black the Harry Potter movie? No, no, Dingus, that's the remake. It's originally a very creepy British movie. Uh, but yeah, Harry Potter was in the remake. I don't know if there's even a dog in the remake. And if there is, I don't know what its name is. Um, so that kind of lady, because it's British. It's like a lady in black. <laughs> a lady. lady's, pur- lady's purpose. Oh, uh, and I just want to say, I forgot if we talked about this on the podcast or off, but the Humane Society inquiry into a dog's purpose, the abuse of that poor dog, which I've always felt was overblown, uh, they were pretty much exonerated. Yep. Their findings are officially released. So we can stop thinking, and I'm not talking to you guys on the podcast, I'm talking to everybody at large. You can stop thinking of a dog's person as the movie in which a dog got tortured to death. Right. That didn't happen. Uh, okay. Dog's person. <laughs> my number two, and this isn't my favorite smell, but uh, this, I love this topic because I uh, I didn't remember the specifics of this. Yeah. Uh, and looking this up, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And it just reaffirms for me why Dingus is wrong about Rosemary's yeah. Baby, not, and specifically Mia Farrow, not being awesome. Dingus, for whatever reason, is a super Mia Farrow hater, and he despises the great movie Rosemary's Baby. So here's why you're wrong, Dingus. Do you remember in Rosemary's Baby how smell is a plot point? No, I don't. So Ruth Gordon uh, – so Rosemary's Baby, Ruth Gordon, and uh, – shoot. What's the old guy from the grandpa movies who plays her husband? Is it the guy who gets uh, eaten by roaches in Creep Show? E.G. Marshall? E.G. Marshall? Yeah. No, but that's not her husband. I forget who it is. At any rate – they're uh, they're basically witches. They're part of a coven. And Rosemary moves in, and she's pregnant. And they've been trying to impregnate some woman previously. Uh, but before we know what's going on, this woman flings herself from a window uh, and commits suicide and is found dead on the street. And we later find out, of course, this is because she was the Satanists were trying to impregnate her. She didn't want any part of it. And when she's dead, she has a, a little amulet on. It's kind of like a little round ball. It's uh, some intricate metal. Uh, And later on, Ruth Gordon gives this to Rosemary, to Mia Farrow. And he's like, oh, I know that the the other girl that was living with us, she wore this, but we'd like you to have this. And she puts the locket around Rosemary's neck, and Rosemary kind of wrinkles her nose and makes a face. And Ruth Gordon has to explain, you'll get used to the smell. There's tannis root in there. Hmm. Uh, and it's some weird satanic thing that they have given her, uh, presumably to eventually 
drug her, to make her susceptible to having sex with Satan or whatever it is that's going on, all supernatural stuff, and this Tannis root is somehow related. But the plot point is that later on, as the movie becomes, and uh, Roman Polanski's really good at this, as it becomes a movie kind of where you're thinking, is it about her paranoia? What's really going on? What is she just being paranoid about? Uh, her gynecologist uh, is uh, Dr. Saperstein. I love that name, yeah. by the way. And she's not sure if she can trust Dr. Saperstein. Uh, and at one point, she goes into the office, and she's out there with the secretary waiting to see Dr. Saperstein. And the secretary says, oh, yeah, my doctor wears uh, – he also has a necklace that smells like that. And at that point, Rosemary realizes that he is in cahoots with Ruth Gordon and her husband and the other Satanists. Uh, so it's the sm- necklace call. Yeah. The Stinky Necklace Cult is probably how they're known, right? Wait, his name is Dr. Saperstein. Why are you laughing at that? It's anti-Semitic for you to laugh at that. What? Because that's Henry Winkler's gynecologist name in Parks and Recreation. Oh my gosh, I knew that sounded familiar. Oh. I See? didn't know. I didn't know. It's like every with every passing day, I learn over and over how like in new ways how brilliant Arrested Development was. Yeah, wait, that's a different show than what Dingus just said. Oh wait, wait, who I just, I, I heard said, Henry Winkler and just immediately assumed Parks and Rec. Sorry. Oh, Parks and Rec is just as good. That too. Blah blah that's blah. In that, yeah. And blah 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 blah. Yeah. Is that Scott Bayo too? That's Ew. Ew, I don't like it anymore now that I know it's Scott Bayo. Why? Because he voted for the wrong person. He didn't just vote. He came out and was like shilling for him. Yeah. You know, don't expect but, too much. But still, that's brilliant. Oh my gosh, Parks and Rec has a doc. Because I remember now, Henry. That's right. He's uh, that annoying Ben Schwartz's and Jenny Slate's dad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they're Sapperstein's as well. That's hilarious. Yep. He's a Sapperstein. Wow. I didn't know that. I did, that adds a whole other layer to Parks and Rec. Well done, Tom. Thank you. Well, that must be why the name sounded so – because I know in, it, you hear it several times uh, in Rosemary's Baby when she's saying the name, uh, that it was sort of the foundation was laid in my head for that name in Parks and Rec. That's awesome. <laughs> What's Charles right, Goodman's name? Dr. S- Dr. Stink. Whose name? In Rosemary's Baby. Dr. Like Saperstein. The- what are you talking about? Oh, he's Saperstein? Okay, but he was Saperstein's friend, and he goes, oh, yeah, Saperstein's a good friend of mine. In Rosemary's Baby, you mean? Yeah, when she goes and she finds Charles Grodin, because she wouldn't run away to Saperstein. I don't think Charles Grodin is Saperstein. Saperstein is another doctor that she goes right, to. Right, the white-haired guy. Right, right, exactly. He's also an old-timey grandpa yeah. movie actor uh, from he's, somewhere. He's Dr. Rosenpenis. Betty Buckley. Jesus. This is a At death. any rate, Kelly Wand, what's your second most fa- favorite most – What's your second favorite presentation of a smell in a movie? It's still got that smell. Then he sniffs it. It's uh, Bushimi and uh, Fargo when he's using the smell of the car to try and get out of the ticket, which ends up in uh, oh. good play. Huh. Wait, what? I'm not remembering. Explain. The new car smell. Okay. The new car smell. Then he sniffs. Yeah, Steve Buscemi and uh, Fargo. When How does that get you out of a ticket? Because I, I need to remember this. How do you get out of well, a ticket? Well, it doesn't. Oh. But he's trying, to, he's trying to bond with the cop before he bribes him by pointing out that the car smells new. <laughs> like that's going to ingratiate him to the cop. 
and the cops having none of it. But that's is that the movie where he, does he drop like a bill and say, "I'm sorry, is this yours, officer?" Or is that another movie I'm thinking of? No, I think you're I right. Just want to be full compliance. And he hands over the wallet with the fifty. Yeah, I'm thinking of another movie where where uh, somebody drops uh, like a, a fifty on the ground and is like, "Oh, I'm sorry, officer. It looks like you dropped that. Maybe that was from Fargo." No. But I'm thinking of that in another in some movie where someone bribes a police officer. Is he drops money and he t- tells the officer, "Oh, I think you dropped that," and the officer's having none of it. Uh, no, it's too windy in Fargo to do that. Yeah, you can't you can't be dropping money on the ground. It would just move vertically. Right. Right. I mean horizontally. Yeah, horizontally along the uh, um, circumference of the Earth. Windward. We'll yeah, windward. It. Yeah. Dingus, what's your second it's favorite terrible. movie? Terrible. <laughs> Uh, my second favorite is a movie I've talked about before. Um, it's this movie called French Kiss. Ah, is this Meg Ryan? Yep. Ugh. And Kevin Klein. Jesus. He's a yep. cat thief. He steals cats or something. You're a cat, cat thief. burglar. He owns. Ah, no, ah. He, he owns. French a, Kiss. He owns a winery. His family owns a winery um, in France. In France. Uh, but I just love that, that there's a sequence where uh, he's teaching her how uh, to smell uh, as far as how you are able to smell different things in wine. And he's got this great little, um, what you would call it, but this great little cabinet of of things that are uh, like, this is lilac from here. This is, uh, there are the, all these different uh, things that are going into the soil that, that are uh, part of what you would call terroir um, in creating the, the the smell that would come or the taste that would come out of wine. Um, and, of course, if you understand how to taste wine or taste beer or taste anything, much of that is related to how you smell it. And so he's asking her to smell these things. And this is this is something that's in this environment. This is something that's in this environment. And he's getting her to smell those things. And that and that scene where he's getting her to smell those things to understand how wine tastes and how you un, and how you evaluate or how you deal with the fact that the environment affects the way the wine tastes. Um Based on how you smell it is really, I, I just, I'd love that. I, I don't really care for the movie French Kiss, but I, I, I've said this many times. I just love that scene. I love that, that sense of, of how you describe why something you are drinking has all of these different, uh, applications or all of these different, um, I don't know, personalities. Uh, I could have chosen another movie for this, but I chose French Kiss because I just have a real affinity for that particular scene and how that's described. I can't believe you would choose French Kiss over that other movie, Dingus. I hope that, yeah. that must be your number one, I guess. No, no, that's going to huh. be yours, I would imagine. Uh, I actually didn't even think of that. Uh, are you chew- that Tom, are you chewing gum? See, maybe that'll be in a runner-up. Hmm. Uh, well, then I'm assuming, so we know what Kelly's number one is. He's already chosen that. Uh, I'm assuming, Dingus, that your number one is the same as mine, because I can't imagine nobody's chosen this yet. So mm. my favorite smell, I mean, did we all pick Apocalypse Now? I thought it was oh, too no. obvious, so I, I 
right? I mean, I it is obvious, of, right? Like I didn't even whole, think of it. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows what napalm actually smells like, but that that scene kind of gives everyone some idea of the, you know, uh, Robert Duvall's character and his sort of insanity in wartime, uh, associating it with victory. Uh, so everybody's got some sort of mental image of the smell of napalm smelling like victory. Uh, and certainly that scene, because that's, I think that's where the scene ends, if I'm not mistaken, is he delivers that line, uh, to the young soldier and then that's the end of his yeah. character pretty much. No one has a response to it. Yeah. I mean that, no, they, there is no response. I mean that the movie kind of can just stop right there and go somewhere else. That's, that's a it showstopper. Does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I, I was assuming everybody was going to pick that. I'm, I guess people will write in with that one if you guys didn't pick it. Uh, nope. All right. So napalm and victory. That's my favorite smell in a movie. Kelly Wand, what's your, oh your favorite is uh, the smell of death in Reeker. Yeah. Dingus, that brings us to you. What's your favorite smell in a movie? All right. Here's a quote from it. Your hair smells of uh, what? Of another woman's sex. I'm sure Kelly has seen this. Uh, or I'm going to watch it right after this. <laughs> no, you're not going to. This is from a movie called The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Um, and uh, this is when uh, Daniel Day Lewis comes home to Juliet Binoche and she smells on him, on his hair. Uh, the fact that he's been with another woman, that he's gone down on another woman. Um, and this made just a huge impact on me when I saw this movie in 1988. You know, I was just out of high school at that point, uh, and I didn't know what the hell, what are they talking about? What is he talking about? What is she talking about? What does she mean? Um, I was really sexually totally unexperienced at that point, and... Um, well, still am, obviously. Uh, but uh, but that that moment where they're lying down in that bed together, and she smells another woman on him, um, it really affected me. It really made me think. Well, what is going on here? What are what are all these things that are going on in this story? Um, so uh, anyway, it's it's uh, her smelling another woman on him. Fredbow. Friend Lynn are writing in. Hello, gentlemen. Um, number three, a crass and repulsive example that now makes me think of our new president. Casper asks Telly what his latest conquest smelled like. Telly places his fingers under Casper's nose. Casper inhales and comments, Butterscotch, yo. This is from the movie Kids. <laughs> uh... It sounded like Office Christmas Party, and I was excited for a minute. And now what it sounds like to me is, um, damn it, is it uh, Spring Break? Uh, role models. Uh, Remember role models when he puts his finger under Paul Rudd's nose and goes, like, this is what he did yeah. last night. <laughs> All right, Friendlin's number, number two choice is the dude gets the call that his car has been recovered. He's overjoyed by this until he arrives at the impound lot and sees the condition of his ride. He gets in the passenger door and exclaims, what's that smell? The officer tells him the vagrants may have used it as a toilet. <laughs> huh. Uh, takes me back. 
Fredbo's number one. You smell that? I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Cheers. Which, what movie is that? Uh, that's from uh, Larry Gay. Mm, right. See? can't believe – I thought I was watching Mark Feuerstein. This is so disappointing. Origin story. So I canceled my Netflix account uh, a while ago. What? Just, but, but I reinstarted it because – there's a, there's a series called Fortitude, which I love, and its second season has just started. And there's an actor named uh, uh, J, uh, no, uh, Richard Dormer in it, who we've seen in a couple of movies. He's in Game of Thrones. We saw him in 71. Uh, so I saw Richard Dormer was in a movie called The Siege at Jadotville. It was some Netflix movie uh, about Irish soldiers sent to, um, to, to the Congo. I was like, yeah, cool. I love Richard Dormer. I'm going to watch this. So I started my Netflix account up, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. And I'm waiting on Richard Dormer, and he's not showing up, and he's not showing up, and he's not showing up. And instead, there's a whole bunch of some young, dorky guy who, as I'm watching it, I eventually realize to my horror, oh, my God, this is Jamie Dornan, the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah. I Dormer's uh, Marjorie, Natalie Dormer. Ugh. <laughs> I knew something was dumb. It's like that bit. Do you, what's the movie where John Hurt is in uh, – uh, and uh, he's like a literary scholar, and he goes to a movie to see an adaptation of E.M. Forrester. His agent has convinced him, you need to go see E.M. Forrester's, uh, these adaptations to get with the times. He doesn't even have a, a VCR. He can't, so the agent gives him a, a VCR and a, to hook up to his TV. He can't figure it out, so he buys a ticket to go see this E.M. Forrester. The idea is it's like a James Ivory, a merchant ivory picture. And he's this snooty old English writer. Oh, now I'm sad because John Hurt just died. Yeah, I I can't believe you're bringing that up. Oh, they can stage you. So anyway, John Hurt. Oh, Kelly Wand. So John Hurt, as this reclusive author, he goes to the cinema and he buys a ticket, and he goes in and he sits down and he's watching a movie, and then we see the movie he's watching, and it's all these like rollicking modern day teenagers and their dudes running around shirtless, and he's sitting there watching and he's watching, and he finally says. This isn't E.M. Forrester. And he gets up and realizes he's in the wrong theater. Is that the Jason Priest? Yeah, but then at that moment, he spies Jason oh. Priestley on the screen, and he falls in love with him. Right. Uh, but I just remember him getting up and going, this isn't E.M. Forrester, and that, that impeccable John Hurt accent. That's how I felt watching uh, <laughs> this movie with the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, oh. That you wish you, were, you wish it was Jason Priestley. I did not actually, upon leaving the Netflix account, I did not fall in love with any of the pretty young men in the movie, what, though. So, what was the, uh, what's that movie? That's a good question. I want to say Gods and Monsters, monsters, but that's the no, Ian McKellen that. in love with the young yeah, boy. It's it's it's, um, it's Long Island or something. I don't know. It's, it's the one I like way better than Gods and Monsters. Long it has something to do with Long Island, but I can't. Well, remember. you might be thinking of Long Island Express, the Paul Dano, Brian Cox thing, which is also a, oh, a, a right. falling in love with the young boy. That sounds like Lethal Weapon. Oh, no, no. I think think you're right. Fear and Death on Long Island or something. Love and Death on Long Island, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Because LIE, which stands for Long Island Expressway, LIE is That's why I was kind of shy about it. Yeah, that's Brian Cox and Paul Dano. But I think it is Love and Death on Long Island. Oh, all right. Uh, Yeah, Love and Death on Long Island. Dingus, very good. You win. All right. Love and Death on Shyamalayland. (laughs) Our next listener is Paul Weimer. I hope there's a pun. I can't wait. Uh, hi, guys. I hope my picks this week have the sweet smell of success. Ah, see? See, use the word smell for smell. So it's pun. <laughs> gotcha. the, the word itself is not a pun. You, yeah. can't, pun, you can't pun a word. Uh, Paul's number I three is... I would just say period. 
In Independence Day, after having knocked out one of the aliens and is alone with it and its crashed spaceship in the desert, Captain Hiller, Will Smith, exclaims in disbelief, and what the hell is that smell? Alien stink. Which movie? This would be Independence Day, not Uh, Resurgence. Um, Paul Weimers, number two, in Oh Brother, Where Aren't Thou?, the Dapper Dan hair ointment used by Ulysses, George Clooney, has such a distinctive scent that its smell is used by the sheriff as a way for his bloodhounds to follow him. Uh. <laughs> That's great. And uh, Paul's number one, and I don't remember this. Um, how can I not go with the bag of Eter- the bog of eternal stench in Labyrinth as my favorite smell? Bod or bog? What is bog. it? Bog. Bog of eternal stench in Labyrinth. I, I remember a couple of things from Labyrinth, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, you mean Connolly? Gotcha. Kelly, that was that's the joke. Oh, wait. <laughs> you mean Bowie? Wait. <laughs> Next, we have Arthur Jovangeli. <laughs> that was it. Uh, Arthur's number three is up. The smell that lures Doug to Mr. Fredrickson and Russell during their fateful first meeting in the mist. Before the unlikely duo realizes that Doug is a talking dog, he tells them they can smell them, which confuses them because they think they are talking to a person. You never hear the phrase likely duo. (laughs) (laughs) Like a phoenix has to die eventually. So it can Right, no one cares about a phoenix before it's died. Yeah, yeah. no one cares about a long-lived phoenix. Like, oh, man, it's really getting up there. Right. Yeah. So, man, I wish Kelly were reading this one. Uh, Arthur's number two is Departures. During Daiko Kabayashi's first day working oh. for a funeral preparation firm. Oh, no, no, his, no. Yeah, this is an anime. This is, yeah, this is a great pick. Yeah. Uh, he and his boss are sent to deal with the recently discovered corpse of an old woman who has been dead for quite some time. The very smells associated with the long-dead corpse nearly overpower Daigo. I don't know if, you, if I'm saying that right. Daigo, Daigo. And he comes dangerously close to vomiting. After trying, after this trying first day on the job, his boss sends him home, and Daigo goes to bathhouse to wash away the scent of death. When he gets back home, he can't help but immerse himself in the smell of his wife in a strangely romantic scene. Smell dominates this portion of the movie and is so well presented that you feel enveloped in it, even though the scents are not actually present. Didn't you say that character's name again? Daigo Kobayashi? It sounds like, the first name, it sounds like you're insulting Italians in an Australian accent. It's it's spelled D-A-I-G-O, so I'm pronouncing it Daigo. I don't know. Just sounded like an Australian using an ethnic slur against Italians. Yeah, it does sound like that. It's right. It it does sound like that. Arthur, I want to tell you, uh, that was beautifully written. I really like that. Well done, Arthur. Um, Arthur's number one is Fight Club. Whatever it is that Brad Pitt smells prior to succumbing to a gunshot wound to the head, this is before he falls to the ground. Oh, yeah. Pitt's last words are, What's that smell? Nice. Wow, Arthur. That's awesome. 
I don't nice. remember that at all. That's a great. Yes, it's just the most random thing. I don't know if it's from the book or if it's something Fincher came up with. But I, I my thought was always it was the gunpowder, like the, yeah. the the gunshot inside Edward Norton's mouth, like he would be smelling that and right. Brad Pitt reacting. But yeah, that's great because it is weird and yeah. That's a great. Cordite. That's a great pick, man. It, yeah, Cordite. Good pull, Kellen. Um, so Arthur says. There are lots of theories as to what he's talking about, but I don't think that anything is really confirmed, and I like the mystery of it. The moment is so strange that it really stuck with me. I just love the fact that Tyler Durden goes out while smelling something strange. So, yeah, my number one smell, whatever that smell is. I wonder if one of the theories is that he's smelling uh, Reeker. <laughs> Crossover, origin story, Shyamalan. <laughs> um... Next, we have Chris Webb. Uh, number three, Dirty Work. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I know what he's talking about. That's a great I'm rebooting it. my second favorite prank gone wrong, which was also Kelly Wan's yeah. third favorite prank gone wrong. For my and third favorite, favorite movie that year. And what? That was my favorite movie that year. Right. Dirty Work. What is Dirty, Dirty Work? Will you remind me, Dirty, please? Dirty Work's Norm MacDonald and Artie. Oh, right. Ray. And, uh, who I cut you off? Who besides Norm Macdonald? Artie Lang, the guy who freaked out on Howard Stern, and he's fat. Right. And now he's dead, isn't he? Is, is Artie he? Lang dead? I thought he was. Maybe not. Uh, is he? He's always I on could, the cusp. I could be wrong. Uh, they're like standing in a. Well, I don't want to take Chris Webb's writing away. He probably anyway. So Chris Webb says, uh, which was also Kelly Wan's third favorite prank gone wrong. For my third favorite smell, gone wrong, stinky fish, stinky fish, drug deal goes bad, lots of off-screen casualties, you know the drill. Boy, it's Ty, just Ty, Ty, fish, too, for the whole shot, so it's all sound comedy. It's all forward comedy. <laughs> sound comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Chris says, boy, time passes swiftly. The pranks gone wrong topic was my third ever submission. And that was almost exactly a year ago, February 1, 2016. Yeah. Boy, howdy. Years are weird. All right, Chris Webb, you are now getting into dangerous territory because you're bringing up a movie that I have not seen that I want to see. So his oh. number two is 20th Century Women. Hmm. I would consider the selection to be a spoiler for this new release. Skip it. Skip it. Don't don't read it, Dingus. Don't even look at it. Skip it. Well, but he says, but I guess Dingus and Chick can be the final arbiters. Yeah. Well, so what, we have a, yeah. yeah. We're we're arbiting right now. Yeah. I, we are arbiting. So sorry, Chris. Arbiting. That? Like, why besides Annette Benning do I want to see that? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. All right. But I know I want to see it because I want to see it. All right, and his number one. After the 18th and 14th. (laughs) (laughs) His number one is also 20th Century Women, so sorry, Chris. I can't read any of this. I just have to skip. Two smells and 20th Century Women. Different. Apparently. I'm not reading reading either of them, and no offense to you, Chris, but. (gasps) That's why I want to see it. So, in addition to the lesser fanning being in it, uh, sorry, Al, but Dakota's the one that got the talent. Uh, it's Greta Gerwig. Hmm. So, who's who's that? She's the new wiener dog. Just kidding. 
She is no. in that, though. She is in Wiener Dog. Yeah. Are you saying that Elle Fanning is the lesser Fanning? Of course. Who would disagree with that? It's Dakota. Yeah, exactly. How long has she been the lesser Fanning? Birth. Since Neon Demon, I guess? <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. Uh, even, yeah, I mean, I, Elle Fanning was fine in Neon Demon, but she wasn't doing anything like what Dakota Fanning has done. She was just being uh, treacherously vapid. How hard is that to be? For uh, treacherously vapid. That's one of my favorite movies. All right, oh, next we have uh, Nick, Nick D. Nick D says, number three, LA Confidential. Russell Crowe goes to visit the slightly demented mother of a murder victim and discovers a decomposing body under the house. I love the way Russell Crowe plays the scene, basically holding his breath to avoid the stench and staggering out into the fresh air afterwards. Yeah, I can see that now. Well done, Nick. Um, Nick's number two, The Silence of the Lambs. The scene where Clarice and the other... Oh, this is a good one. I like this. Um... Examine the body of the victim who washed up out of the river. They have to self-consciously put this gray paste. It's actually Vicks, I think. Oh, yeah. Not gray paste is Vicks, I think, under their noses to block the smell of the corpse. I remember this from reading the book, and I think it's Tracy Walter. Is it Tracy Walter? Tracy Water? What's his name? Tracy Walter, the old character actor from, like, Repo Man? Yeah, yeah he's, he's uh, one of the dudes in that scene, and I really love that guy. That's a good pick, Nick. You know, yeah, if uh, if Hooper had had some of that for when he was looking at the remains in Jaws, that scene would have played a lot differently. Like some of that to dab under his nose, that Vicks. May I have some... a glass of water? Yeah. <laughs> don't – I appreciate if you – no, wait. What's the don't smoke in here? Yeah. So Nick's number one pick is Jaws. Hey! I, I love how Richard Dreyfuss reacts when he cuts open <laughs> cuts open the belly of the non-killer shark. Oh, I thought he was still no. It's way better with it. shark. It's way better with Chrissy. Uh, is it Watkins with the, with the girl's remains? Yeah, because he can barely breathe. Because he's got to he's got to be talking to be what do, you, what do you call it when you narrate an autopsy? Dictate. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But he's got to be talking to do that. But to talk, he's got to draw breath, and he's smelling the the. And he, yeah, it's just like his his breath pattern in that scene is just so like weird yeah. because he's. There's not a special word for dictating an autopsy. Yeah, it? there is. Yeah, it's what? called lactating. Oh, damn it! Weird. All right. <laughs> I think it's made weird. weird again. <laughs> so anyway, it like uh, Louisiana license plate. Uh, Nick's Nick's talking about cut, cutting open the body of the belly of the non-killer shark and then kicking himself away from it as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Chris Markinson. Hey guys, I'll leave the Star Wars smells and smell of napalm to other folks. <laughs> Uh, you could have done this whole topic with Star Wars. I didn't bring up anything about I don't care what you smell. Get it down in there. I did not bring that up one uh, I'm so proud I forgot about it. I thought this topic smelled bad on the outside. All right, oh, so, great. Tauntauns. Holy shit. It's Kelly a Wong, once I emailed Dingus, and we were talking about something, and in the email I wrote something about Tauntauns, and I wrote it T-O-N-T-O-N, and then I hit send. And then I hit send email. Dingus another email saying, I'll bet by the time you're reading this second email, you've already sent me a correction for how to spell tauntauns. And then I hit send. I spelled it correctly, T-A-U-N, T-A-U-N. And sure enough, I got it. Huh. You thought it was with O's? No, I knew it was. I knew that Dingus would know. And not only would he know, it would gall him enough that he would immediately respond to the email. That's not how you spell tauntaun. 
So that's why I immediately sent him a second email demonstrating that I knew – not only did I know how to spell it, but I knew that it would gall him enough that he would immediately respond. I try, Kelly Watt is called trolling people. You should try it sometime. Yeah. I always get uh, tweaked <laughs> looking at tattooing. That never looks right to me. Like, wait, why? Because I think it's it's like – shouldn't it be two, two, two T's like tattoo? Like it has a tattoo? Yeah. Please. It's tattooed okay. with sand. Next you're going to tell me you don't know that there's two E's at the end of Wookiee. I got in trouble for that one time. You should. With Bauman, yeah. It was for a Star also, Wars game review. He's all, Wookiee, Jesus, you're yep. going to get killed. What are you doing to me? He was super upset. I expect you to also use that there are no second acts in American lives correctly also from now on. Oh. Did you watch Z? Okay, never mind. <laughs> so Chris Markinson writes, number three, in The Matrix, Agent oh. Smith hates the smell of this place. Oh, yeah. This prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. Well, doesn't yeah. he say you stink? Like he's doesn't he? I, I recall Hugo Weaving like hitting the word stink or something. Like that's why computer hates the word smell. I think it is. Is it smell? He just hits smell so haughtily that it made me think the word was stink. Huh? That's well, great. he's rubbing uh, Lawrence Fishburne's sweat too. So there's a racist in Yeah. yeah. Your sweat, particularly, is repulsive to me. By the way, I I knew what was going on in the movie we saw was in a zoo. I knew it. Wow, it's way smarter than we are, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I kind of dumb myself down. It's really easy. I was kind of primed because there was a a story about this bobcat escaping from a zoo in Washington D.C. this week (laughs) on one of my favorite podcasts. And you thought, hey, wait a minute. I just remember the way zoos look and the fact that M. Night Shyamalan can't help but constantly do things in Philadelphia all the time. Um, so I knew there was this zoo stuff. Uh, Chris Markinson, number two in 12 Monkeys. Madeline Stowe removes a World War I bullet from Bruce Willis's leg. When he stands up afterwards, he stumbles and Stowe catches him. He leans in close to her and inhales deeply before saying, oh. you smell so good. Uh, I remember that. That sounds interesting. Why does he have a World oh. War One bullet? I love that. He's a time traveler. Yeah. He went to World War One also? Um, something, something. It's something. It's interesting. Yeah. Damn, I love that. That's a great pick, Chris. Damn, I love that. Yeah. And Tom was so right when he said that Bruce Willis's best performance was from that movie. Yeah, good job. I really like that. All right. So Chris is number one at the end of Fight Club. The narrator puts a gun in his mouth, pulls the trigger. The camera cuts to Tyler, smoke coming from him, and he asks, so what's that smell? Oh, yeah, of course it's about the, the cordite then. Because yeah. he's definitely referring to the smoke that he, he didn't shoot it into his mouth. Why is there discussion then about what he's smelling? Well, I don't think there's any ambiguity. I think we were the ones discussing it. All right. Because we weren't watching it at the time. <laughs> <I have> to <laughs> remember it from decades earlier. Uh, I smelled we, something. We have Justin D. Heard. Hey, guys, I tried to avoid reactions to awful smells. To awful smells, but that left me with a few concrete choices. Number three, Perfume, the story of a murderer. Oh, I knew someone was going to bring this up. That silly Perfume movie that we've never seen. 
Justin has done all three of his picks seem to be perfume, the story of a murderer. Hmm. Uh, ben Wishaw's John Baptiste Grenouille reveals his penchant for sense by trying to create, recreate an amour et psyche, which, um, I know, sorry. You were on right, um, your ground with your Japanese, Dingus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, which <laughs> Dustin Hoffman's Giuseppe Baldini has been trying to figure out a key to. Wishaw briskly makes it, upsetting Hoffman before he smells it. Wishaw then offers to make it more better, and once he does, it transports Hoffman from his dry basement to an open field where a woman kisses him and whispers, I love you. Wow, that's a good perfume. Justin's number two perfume pick is Jean-Pepetis Grenouille is hunting the last note of his woman-based perfume. So far, he's killed 12 women. Okay. Um... And capture their sense, and as his nose set on Laura. Uh, this is the last time. Okay, so I, I, I haven't seen this movie, so I'm going to skip some of this stuff. Sorry, Justin. Um, number one, Perfume, Star of Murder. Those whole movies trying to re- replicate smells into a visual medium. I think my favorite comes at the first of the reveals of what Jean-Paptiste Grieux's uh, perfume is able to achieve. When he's scheduled... For ex- uh, I, 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 it doesn't. Uh, dang it! I wonder. Watch this movie now that you've kind of uh, Justin. Let me just say this: I'm not reading these because you kind of made me want to watch this movie. Now. Why do you want to watch this? It's like old and, and English, and nobody. Uh, I, I have I, the book, and then I go. I'm not going to see the movie until I read the book, and then I never read the book, so then it just screws me twice. Yeah, it's probably directed by some Frenchman too that never did another movie. What did they know? Uh, Compared to like, gee. Uh, Justin says, if you haven't figured it out, perfume, the story of a murderer is a trip and worth seeing for its insanity alone. Thanks for everything you do. Well, Justin, you've made me want to watch a movie, so thank you very much. I appreciate that, dude. Oh, Let's watch that. It's not, I do want to see it now. It's not a Frenchman. It's a fellow who has done a few movies. I think he's German. Uh, Tom Tickwer. Oh, well, damn yeah! Yeah, I know, right? Sorry, I, just again, I appreciate. I'm I'm not going to read your stuff because I want to watch this movie now. Dang it! All right, you guys have any uh, runners up? The album in this is Spinal Tap is called Smell the Glove. <laughs> <laughs> What's that smell like? I don't know. I always wondered. Man, what does the glove smell like? What's wrong with being sexy? And smelly. <laughs> Smell the glove. Yeah. I only had Pulp Fiction where uh, Bruce Willis is going to have sex with his lady friend. And he's all, yeah, I kind of stink. She's all, no, I like your stink. She gets really excited by his, his boxer stink. Even though he smells like two dudes. The guy he killed and himself. Hmm. But I really I respect her passion. She's like, no. Your your stink's great. So that's um, what I try to remind <laughs> my women. Oh, Supposed to wow. like that. It's pheromones. Come on. Enjoy it. Uh, my favorite time smell is referenced is probably in Ghostbusters. Um, not the dog thing, but, uh, but when about that line where uh, I think it's Egon says, listen, smell something in the library. 
I just love that line. Listen, you smell something? Wait, he <laughs> smells the old woman ghost? <laughs> it's so dumb. This, it's, it's totally dumb. Is Egon Rick Moranis? What'd you say? Is Egon Rick Moranis? Oh, no. he's Moranis. Jesus. Oh. Dingus. You hear what? that? You hear what? <laughs> Yeah, there's Tom nothing. doesn't know which Ghostbusters who. I don't know where to say to that. Uh, uh, Rick Moranis isn't even a Ghostbuster. Yes, have some. What do you mean he's not sure, a Ghostbuster? He's I mean, he's not a Ghostbuster. I don't know how to make that more clear. Hold on. Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson. No. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> who directed Groundhog Day? Rick Moranis? Jason Reitman. Ivan Reitman. No, Jason. Ivan Reitman. <laughs> who directed Caddyshack? Bob McKenzie? John Landis. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Max Landis. What a disaster. All of it. Everything. Let's watch Split. This is I guess you're right. Well, why, why, if he's not a Ghostbuster, what, why? I don't, that scene he, you guys showed him, he was like, neighbor. Oh. That's how they know him. <laughs> they know him he's because the, the guy that the woman Bill Murray wants to sleep with lives across from him. That's how they know Rick woman. He's, yeah. he's the accountant. Now that whole scene that you guys showed me, which I thought was, where I didn't think that yes, have some was a funny line. You showed me the scene. I was like, oh yeah, that is funny. Now I don't like it as much because he's not even one of the Ghostbusters. They should have made him one. In the second one, he's their lawyer, even though he's not a lawyer, which is really weird. Does he ever get to wear like the proton pack in the jumpsuit? Yeah, and then be in the, in well the then. Then he's a Ghostbuster, please. All right. Then I, I'm right. It's supposed to be an applause moment. And then he pot, name? makes his name pot spray. Is he Vince Clore, though? Is that his name? Or is that the yeah, name of... I think that's it. What are we doing? Trying to remember I don't know. What's wrong with us? That's, All right. that's my only... My only what uh, we're doing is I'm going to introduce next week's 3x3. Three three. Are you guys yay. ready? Oh. This is a simple one. It's not high concept. There will be no police on duty because I can't tell you what to do with this topic. You have to do with it what you will. Uh, every now and then I get a, an email or someone saying, yeah, I like the podcast, but I don't really like it when you guys talk politics. Well, guess what? Don't listen to next week's 3x3 three because three. <laughs> what we're doing next week, I want you to make Donald Trump watch three movies. All right. That's all there is to it. Do with this as you will. Now, I talked, and this isn't, I'll, I'm not taking these off the table, but I talked before the election uh, that I thought there were some movies that really were important uh, representations of what America's going through, like Desierto, this horror movie about uh, immigration uh, and loving about the, the process of uh, Virginia trying to outlaw misogyny. Uh, so you can do something highfalutin like that, or you can just subject Donald Trump to certain movies. You can make him watch himself in that uh, uh, Home Alone movie. Do what you will. Nothing's off the table. You don't even have to explain why. Ideally, I'd like to hear why you'd like to watch him certain movies. Um, Does he have to watch the ones we pick? Yeah. You're making right. Donald Trump – what's the name of the topic? Make Donald Trump watch three movies. He doesn't Does he have to watch the movie with him? No, no, no. It's up to you, by the way. If you want to sit there with him, you can. If you just want to lock him in a room, all that I'm asking you to do... I don't think you can pay attention to a movie for more than That's why we got to be there. Well, that's, if you need to monitor him, because you will, you have the power. In this 3x3, three three, I am magically, just like M. Night Shyamalan gives people power to have bullet-repelling skin and to lift a whole lot of weight 
that Spencer Treat, whatever that kid's name is, Clark, puts on the weight bench. I'm giving you the power to make <laughs> Donald Trump Treat. sit through three movies in their entirety. All you need to do is tell me what three movies those are and maybe a little bit about why. Now, sometimes we say to you guys, if you can't think of three, just send us one. That's not the case here. I need three movies. Don't give me one. Don't give me two. I need three movies you're going to make Donald Trump watch. So send those, send those to 3x3 at quarter3.com, and we'll read them on the air, and there might be politics involved. So if you don't like that sort of thing, well, you can, you can stop listening oh, when you hear the Britney Spears. Yeah. Wait, so is it, do we come up with one movie and he gets rid of two movies for each other? I don't other? understand. What? That, your math just confused me. I don't, <laughs> no, you're making Donald Trump watch three movies. Okay, three. Yeah. Slow down. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah, take notes if you have to. Also, we're going to see The Founder. <laughs> Dingus is ex- very excited about it. If you can't, Do you know what other movies that kid was in, by the way, from The Unbreakable? Spencer 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 Spencer. Yeah, he was in Last Exorcism Part 2, where uh, uh, Balabob or whatever, uh, the demon, killed him. Oh. It was really sad. What right. else was he in? What were you thinking of, Dingus? Bambalam. That was the name. Bambalam was the demon. Bambalam? I think something like that, yeah. In Last Exorcism, Exorcism 2. Ashley Bell turns in, the demon takes her over. And, oh, no, no. The demon makes Boy, him shoot where? himself. Yeah. Oh, the that's right. That's right. <laughs> the poor kid, yeah. The demon makes him shoot himself. Just when oh, she doesn't he make him cut, cut his own throat or something? Does I he thought, make him shoot himself? I thought Bambalam made him shoot himself. Maybe he did cut his throat. You might be right, Dingus. But yeah, she gets herself a new boyfriend, and Bambledam's like, nope, you can't I have one. I forgot he was in that. What were you thinking of? Evil Mime? The only thing I saw, that he was he's in this television series version of Animal Kingdom, which I haven't seen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Is he like the James Fraser character? Do we know? I have no idea, but I haven't seen that show, and I don't know if it's worth seeing. Huh. So there's there's a training day show, and I'm like, wait, it's oh, the whole God. day? There's like a, a whole series about one day? Well, it's also it's a they're they're racially flipping it, and Bill Paxton is the the Denzel Washington. Yeah. Oh, uh, eh, you can't replace those characters. I know the uh, the New York Times review I read, which was uh, well, the review I read basically said the problem is it, it he's too much of a like lovable Yahoo, and all of his stuff about hey you got to break the law to enforce the law. Uh, that that's the not show- what Denzel Washington was doing. He's well, the evil. show is really selling him on being a uh, his roguishness. Like Billy Bob Thornton in Fargo. Uh, well, it's making it. It's the the show is sort of tacitly saying, uh, endorsing this idea that hey, go under the law. You you got to do that sometimes. Uh, he's not really a bad guy. That they're making him out like a good guy who's what? bucking the system. That it's they were basically here we go politics. They were basically equating it to uh, it's something that would appeal to to Trump fans. Oh, training this idea, oh, screw, No, no, the Bill Paxton one. <laughs> screw due process. Screw due process. We got to do what it takes to bring in the criminals. That that's yeah. what the training day TV show is is doing with Bill Paxton's character. Uh, that's it. So it made me not want to watch it, <laughs> which I already didn't want terrible. to. So, it didn't have to so they're lethal weaponing training day. Don't know. Lethal weapon is awesome. Okay. Dingus, Dingus and I super approve of the casting and the all the implementation in Lethal no, Weapon. They're taking yeah. a movie that's about an asshole and then turning it into a buddy cop. Why would you say that ab- about uh, Murtaugh? Oh. 
Oh, I meant Riggs. <laughs> I can't, I honestly can't still don't know which is Murtaugh Danny Glover. Riggs. Yeah. He wouldn't shout his own name all the time. He'd be shouting so, Murtaugh. So he is Murtaugh. Yeah. Yeah. He's Murtaugh. See, I got it right. I know my. I might not know Ghostbusters, but I know my Lethal Weapons. Jesus, the Ghostbusters thing is a travesty. <laughs> but I know what love is. So uh, join us for uh, the founder our own podcast, and then we're going to make Donald Trump watch three movies. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malensky. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. I bet the alien smelled bad, too, an alien. Come on, Dingus, you're out of odor. The whole court's out of odor. That's my uh, number three. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Oh, that's him as a lawyer? (laughs) That's what happens when you... Do a mercy invite.